Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. My heart is missing listening to it. I'm nearly crying because she's such an cute. I've gone through at the home of representative that are inviting that to the hall, so yeah. if they can't get the answers, how are the people going to get the answers? They know how hard I work, and to get nothing at the end of it is very, very hard. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Yeah, you know, I was watching that rugby match uh, the night that Ireland beat the All Blacks in in the States. I I was watching it at home. (laughs) And you know what? When when Joe Biden said that last evening about black and tans, I thought, actually, that's how it felt watching Ireland win in that match that nice it, it, it did feel like, like we kicked the black and tans around the place such was the importance of the win and the joy of the occasion but uh, Joby and Joe you know what I don't know if it's just me listening to the radio and watching the television and seeing the newspapers they're full of it this morning he just seems to come across as as a lovable old granddad, and I know that's probably completely simplistic and simple-minded and all those things, but he does. He, he seems to come across as as a, as a really likable old lad who has no problem taking pictures and selfies. And yeah, of course, look, there's a secret service man four foot away from him will shoot you if you do anything out of the way. But he also seems to understand that people welcome him. I mean, they're losing their minds up the country about having the poultice in the sweet shop or, or, the, or the bakery or wherever it happens to be. And I think it's great. For, I love, I, you know, people are so happy to have this big occasion. They queued, for the ra- they queued for three hours in the rain just to wave at the car going by. You know, it's, it's, it's nice for them. It is. And this is a guy who, who talks openly about his Irish roots and, and seems really, really proud of them. I know people who've met him, and some friends who, who've met him uh, and spent time in his company, and they say he is actually very likeable, Elfla. So, uh, welcome, Mr. Biden. There's a Cork connection, which, which we'll talk more about later in the morning, a very strong Cork connection to his visit. Some lovely news I got from the iTunes chart. I had a look at it earlier this morning. This beautiful song that we featured on Tuesday. That song is now up to number four in the iTunes charts. And tomorrow being 65 Roses Day, love to see it go all the way. Breathe easy. Number four in the iTunes charts. And we heard the story of it earlier in the week. Would be lovely to... um, would be lovely to give it maybe another spin on 65 Roses Day. We'll see. We'll see what the powers that be have to say. Good morning. A gorgeous, gorgeous Thursday morning, but a horrible, horrible video. And while it was necessary to see it, we all need to see it and understand that this is going on. It was very, very upsetting as a dog lover to see this video, which was taken in an amber garage... Uh, near Bishopstown, in a drive-through car wash, a dog being pushed through a car wash. Martina, 
Kenny, co-founder of My Lovely Horse Rescue. It was on your Twitter feed that I saw this video yesterday. What a horrific thing. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it was. It was really horrible. Mm. Describe um, it for people yeah, who haven't well, seen it. Um, basically, um, there's somebody behind the car a bit away taking a video of this man um, beside his car and he has a dog. It looks like um, a Springer Spaniel and he is basically power washing the dog. The dog is terrified in one part of it where he's back, like, you know, pressed against the car um, and he's power washing and then the dog runs around the other side and he continues to chase it with the power wash to, you know, to, to wash it or whatever he's trying to do. Um, and if you watching the video, there's, um, you can hear the squeals mm. and the terror from the dog. It's really, really horrible and horrible for us to watch too, even though we see awful things on a daily basis. The fact is that a lot of the things we see, we can sometimes save them and help them, but that poor dog we couldn't save, which was just awful. No, part of so the we just cruelty. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, go on. Go, go ahead. No, I just saying like, like you know that's the thing we we had to show it we had to show no, it to hopefully try save that dog. Apart from the cruelty of turning a pressure hose, a high pressure hose on a frightened dog, those detergents are for the metal skin of cars. They're not for the soft skin of a dog. Exactly, and and as you say, it's not only the pressure alone that we all know comes out of those, you know, th- th- for those car washes. It is the chemicals. I mean, we all know that. First of all, most. Oh, you know, the line is dropping on me there, Martina. Ferg, will you try and transfer her onto a a phone line there for a second till we see if, uh, if we can clean it up a bit? Um, yeah. If you go and look up my lovely horse rescue on social media, you will see the video. Um, it, it, we had another one earlier in the year. Do you remember the the little donkey being dragged behind a car? Well, this is if if it was possible to be worse than that. This is worse than that. Martina's better. We're back back on a better line now. So you published the video because you felt we had to see this. Yeah, I like the vi- like the video of the donkey. That was us that published that. That was actually one of our volunteers who took it. We're very much, we say to people, if you can, video or take a photograph because it's the only way that we're going to tackle animal cruelty in this country and in this world. You know, people have to see what's going on because it's horrendous out there. If, if people even knew half the things that went on, you know, it, you wouldn't sleep at night. But something like that, we, we got it in. That guy had no idea... He was so, he hated the fact he had it since Friday. He he tried to contact different people and didn't know what to do. And the minute he actually contacted one of our volunteers and she immediately sent it to, to me yesterday morning. And I was like, that has to be shown because he wants it shown. He just doesn't know what to do. So I said, we'll show this. This is awful. This is just awful. Now I take it it has been reported to the guards. Yeah, it has. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's making um, a statement it's a young guy, you know, so he's making a statement um, to the guards today as well. Mm. And not only will his video be of interest to the guards, but I'm very sure that the garage, and there's no blame to them here of any description, they'll have CCTV footage from their forecourt that can help with all of this. You need to find out who this person is and drag them before a court. Exactly, and we really hope this happens because an awful lot of the time 
something like this just falls to the wayside. You know, oh, it's an animal or whatever. Now, there's amazing Gardaí out there that really have a huge interest in animal welfare. And they're the guards that we need to appeal to all the time. But um, we will make sure that this is an ongoing case. And it shouldn't even be a case. It's clear cut. It's seen, you know, they can get the reg and, and that's the end of it. That person did what he did and that dog needs to be taken away from that person immediately. At minimum. You see, my, my fear here is always, Martina, and people think I'm sort of exaggerating a bit, but, but if that guy will do that to a harmless little creature like a dog, what will he do to another adult? Well, that's exactly it. And this is, you're, and you're not exaggerating whatsoever. Um, you know, through the years of rescue, we've met kids, like kids of 12 and 13 that have been just horrible to animals, like throwing them around, beating them, horrible. And, and later on, only recently, one of those kids I just found out is now 20 and he's in prison. He's in prison for stabbing somebody. And we met him years ago through beating a horse very badly, yeah. a very young horse. So it just shows that is what we're, we're up against. We've got to stop it. Like, it just doesn't stop at animals. It definitely goes further. Yeah. We were going to see if the chap who took the video would, would talk to us, but I understand he's very nervous about that, So which is why he passed exactly. it on to you. Yeah. Yeah, he is very nervous and uh, and we're talking to him and that's why he is going to go make a statement. Um, and we do hope that other people will come forward to help him even. But the thing is, as we said to him, it's clear cut, it's right there and that's it. The police need to actually, you know, act on that video alone they can act on. there's, there's no, It's like the donkey being pulled. There was no need to say for anybody else, loads of cars passed that donkey that day, but nobody came forward you know, it was clear cut what was happening. That's it. You know. You 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 know the law here, Martina, far better than I. Like, what could what sanctions are there in law for doing that to a dog? It's animal cruelty. It's actually animal cruelty. He can be charged. You know, whether or not it'll be just a fine, which usually it is, because you know we have a really great legislation for for to protect animals, but the problem is it's not enforced. And that's something that my lovely horse rescue really tries to do. We're not only out there rescuing animals, you know, we're, we're also trying to push, you know, the government trying to push everybody to realise that we have an amazing, you know, a really good animal welfare legislation. And why aren't we enforcing it? That's huge. And, and it's not the guards' fault. The guards don't know. The guards aren't, you know, that's not part of their... Um, their uh, the lessons or whatever in Tampa Moore, you know, they need to know how they stand. Like a guard is, has loads of powers and, and, and they need to know it too. So we, we just need to get that out there and enforce that. We do need a dedicated guardy animal welfare unit. It's something that we're shouting about and we're not going to stop until we have. We have identified guardy that would love to be part of that and that could help other guards around the country. So that's something we really need at this point in this in this country. It's not getting any better. It's actually getting worse. So we need it badly. Okay. Martina, thank you for the work you continue to do for animals. Uh, that's Martina Kenny, co-founder of My Lovely Horse Rescue. You'll find that video on there. Uh, social media. I'm not too sure if we've shared it. It's it's very upsetting. It might be a little bit too graphic for us to share it, but if you go looking for their social media, you'll be able to see it, and then it's up to you if you want to share it.
Uh, I'm reminded of my last conversation with Vincent Cashman of the CSPCA that their wardens are now wearing body cams for their own safety because of some of the characters that are out there handling and dealing with animals. But this didn't happen in some strange place overseas. This didn't happen in some strange Hicksville in, in America. This happened in Bishopstown where a dog was dragged through a high-pressure car wash sprayed with detergent, sprayed with high-pressure water while it screamed and yelped in fear and well done to the guy who filmed it. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. Should have mentioned when I was talking to Martina there that the number for Bishopstown Stoke Toker Gather is 0214947120. 0214947120 if you can add anything to that story. Have you seen the video, Deirdre? Morning. I didn't see the video, PJ, but I was just listening to you on that card. Yeah. And I, I'm actually crying. Yeah, you know, I think what should be done to him is whoever did that, he should be brought to the petrol station and put through the car wash like that dog was, and throw the stuff over him because he doesn't deserve to have an animal. Yeah, he does. He, he, my heart is actually broken for that dog. Yeah, yeah, it's actually despicable. I went home <laughs> yesterday, Deirdre, having seen it. And I looked at my own two little dogs. Yeah. And I thought, I'm not a violent man. No. But if someone, in fact, I don't think I have a violent bone in my body, but if, if, if somebody did that to one of my dogs, I know what yeah. I'd do with the holes. Well, my husband was saying we lost the dog. He did. We had him 15 years. And he actually took part of us with him. Oh, yeah. Because we absolutely loved him. And he owed us nothing. Because he gave it back. Oh, yeah. With love. You know, and he brought happiness to the house. And he was brilliant. And it just breaks my heart to see that poor dog, what he must have went through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to think that, like, that was his own dog. He, he clearly took the poor animal home afterwards. Like, if he's doing that to him in the, when he's out in the car wash, what's he doing to him at home? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. He should be taken off him anyway straight away. Oh, yeah. Taken off him straight away. That he's been never loaded an animal again because he is an animal himself. You know what, Deirdre? What you just said there, I don't think the animals would do that to their own. I don't think they would. No, I don't think they would. You know what? Like I used to say, our dog, we're his moat. You know, he can't talk. Yeah. And you have to look after him. That's what, you know, that's what we got him for. When, when did your dog die? He died last October. Okay. Let me share with you. 
something that a, an old vet who's no longer with us now, but an old vet said to me one time when he had to put one of our dogs to sleep. Yes. He said, you know that pain you have? He said, that's, yeah. a little, that's a little piece of your heart that he took. Yeah. He took it to remember your smell. Yeah, and Tanya, he absolutely broke, broke our heart. We loved him so much. What was he? A Labrador. And then, what was his name? Yeah. Best dog ever. What was his my name? husband would be like you, PJ. He yeah. was not an angry man, he's not. But if anyone touched that dog... He would have, you know, he, he, the dog was always first in the house. <laughs> yeah, <I don't. laughs> they, they make king. themselves that way, you know. Yeah, actually, Christmas he got more presents than anybody knows. <laughs> he got a load of photographs done of him, big portraits. Yeah, well, my my fellow wasn't feeling so hot over the weekend. He hurt his paw, yeah. and he was sitting in his in his basket on Easter Sunday, feeling a bit sorry for himself. Yeah. And I tell you <laughs> something, he, he got the most of a breast of turkey, fresh and yeah. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, what probably you didn't get. <laughs> uh, I just thought I'd share that with you because he really after taking me all day. Right. Poor right. the poor dog. I just hope he's okay. All right. Deirdre, thanks for your call. Take care. You're very welcome. Thank you, PJ. Bye. Oh, wait, one eight. 96, 96, 96. Unless you've... I don't, don't, don't take me down that road because I still think of poor old Herbie and Herbie's gone since 2013, so don't start me. Don't start me. Right, to West Cork we go. After talking about planning yesterday and talking to Matty McGrath and modular houses and mobile homes and people doing the best for themselves on land that they have and the planning regulations that might as well be written in Greek because you can't understand them until you're stuck in the middle of them. And Colette, that's where you are at the moment. Good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. And uh, can I say I'm delighted that this conversation is taking place because it's, it's, it's so needed um, in all the housing discussions that are taking place on TV and radio, this is one that hasn't really been flagged too much, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it really does need to take place. What's your own story? Okay, so my own story is that I'm in my early 60s and in a responsible job, and I haven't been in a position until fairly recently to be able to buy or to be able to, um, you know, consider um getting a place of my own. So I'm a long-time renter and I'm happy to be a long-time renter um, because I've lived abroad all my life and I lived in Switzerland for a very long time where renting is just the norm. So I have no problem renting and I have no problem where I rent. You know, it's, it's perfectly fine and I'm delighted to it. But I just thought for my retirement, I would try and get a place of my own. And so um, I live in a rural area. A plot of land came up nearby and I thought, great, I'm in a position now, I'll go for this. And thought it would be fairly easy because all I want is a small place, you know, really small place. And my budget would be limited as well, so it wouldn't allow me to buy, you know, to build a large place. I found a great modular home builder and, um, and I thought, this is perfect for me. Absolutely perfect. Small house, just what I need. Um, I needed to be disability friendly because I've had joint replacements and so I needed all on the flat and um, I thought I'll future proof for myself Um, but it's it's a no-go 
Um, it's been refused. Planning was refused. It's a little apartment you wanted to build, a little modular. Well, a small apartment. modular house, okay, yeah. which was timber framed. Um, I initially thought of having a wooden chalet and found out then, or a timber built, you know, a cabin, and found that you can't get planning for that. Yeah. Um, so then I decided, okay, I started to look around and found that this was an option. And um, and it's not actually an apartment, but it's, it was just a little two-bedroomed um, open-plan house, you yeah, know, yeah, small yeah. house, um, that measured 48 square metres. So it's tiny in the larger picture. I mean, yeah, there, are houses, there are houses that have been built at 2,000 square metres. So this is really a small house. And um, it would have been perfect. It was one one kilometre, one point two kilometres from where I live, and um, and I thought it would be you know a possible option, but it's been refused. And um, I've tried to appeal it, but it's also I've been told recently it, it just won't be a runner, and um, because it, the, it's going the, for various reasons. The ribbon development was one of the one of the issues that was... Um, what, what did you say? What did you call it? Ribbon? Ribbon development. Mm-hmm. But ribbon development um, in rural areas is not allowed. We're a lot of houses in one row, okay? But this wasn't going to be in a row. It was more of a cluster. And there only... It would constitute seven houses in that particular place altogether. Oh, there were... There, what you mean is there be there are six houses already in this yeah. particular... And, and you want to put in... I would be the seventh. You would be yeah. the seventh. And they said overdevelopment. Yes, that's right, yeah. For sake. But um, anyway, look, it's just... The, the the reality is is that, you know, I think, you know, there it's, it's very difficult to actually overcome the planning um, regulations that are there. Okay? It, it's extremely difficult. Um, you know, having gone through it now for the last two years, um, it costs money. Um, it's stressful. Um, you have to have representation. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible to phone anybody, to talk to anybody, to, um, you can't get an answer to an email. Um, you know, it, it, it's an extremely difficult process. Um, and I think it needs to be, um, you know, not relaxed. I think it's important to have planning, mm. um, planning rules and regulations. However, I think it needs to be um, facilitated as well, you know, when people have a genuine need. Are you now stuck, Colette, with a piece of land you can do nothing with? No, I'm not, because it was subject to planning permission. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Yeah, but neither can the person sell that, I mean, which is very unfortunate as well, you know, because once planning has been refused that person can no longer sell that to anybody else for planning permission either. Ridiculous, like. You know, so it's a very difficult um, situation, really. And, um, you know, and I'm, as I said, I'm going towards retirement in a couple of years' time. And, you know, there are many people in my age group, too, who are looking for, you know, for alternative housing for one reason or another. And... That's not discussed at all either, yeah. you know. I, I'm being told here as well that land very near to where you wanted to put your little house is is rezoned and there's That's some correct. big, huge development yeah. going in there, isn't there? Yes, that's correct. I, I, I was actually, um, I was told that one of the reasons was that the, it was refused was that it was in contravening 
um, the the planning laws for rural areas in proximity to an urban area. So I'm not very far from Bandon, and so that would be the urban area. Okay. And um, and within two to three kilometres of where that plot is, there are houses being built. A small a small um, uh, uh, development. Um, but much larger houses. And when I asked about that, um, I was they're far nearer to the town than I am. Um, I was told that land had been rezoned, um, which is why they're allowed to build on it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you know, it's um, it seems like I mean I know. It seems like one rule for one person, Colette, and another rule for you. Um, yeah, well, you know, maybe not just for me, but I mean, I, I, I know that it's, it's extremely difficult. Um, rural planning is extremely difficult. And, um, you know, there's no dialogue around it. It's, you know, people are just trying to get a house and trying to get their own home together, whether you're my age or whether you're younger. You know, it's, um, I mean, I know that there are farmers' children who have a plot of land given to them, and who still can't get planning permission. That, that's ridiculous. You know? That's utterly and, bonkers. You know, and you have to prove, you actually have to prove that you have a connection with the area. And I've been living in this house and in this area for over 12 years. So I'm very um, connected to the community, all my neighbours, um, and to activities within, within the town, within yeah. the community. So everybody, you know, I don't want to move from no, here. Why, why, why should you? It's your home. I, you and and the, the other thing, Colette, you said that there are a couple of other houses around where you wanted to put your little place. Do you do you know if anybody objected to the, what you wanted to do? No. And there was absolutely no objection whatsoever. Yeah. There was no objection. That, may, no. that actually makes it worse. Yeah. There was no objection and, uh, you know, I've spoken, no, absolutely, there was no objection whatsoever went in. So, um, you know, that wasn't an issue. Utterly ridiculous. All right. So what are you going to do now? Stay where you are? Well, you know, as I said, I've been, I I rented long term when I was abroad. I have no problem renting long term. Um, Yes, I will continue to rent uh, for the foreseeable future. And I will just see what happens um, going forward. But, you know, I mean, building, I wanted to build in the area because I like living here and I'm connected to it. Um, But you have to have, you have to be living within four kilometres of um, the plot, if you like. You have to have a connection within the four kilometre radius. And if you don't have that connection, you actually can't, um, you can't get planning at all because you you contravene the rural planning laws. So, you know, I live in farmland, you know, so... Everywhere around me is farmland, so I'm not going to find another plot of land no. in the area. No, because the land would have to be rezoned. Uh, yeah, I, I feel yeah. I, I feel for you because it defies logic what what is being done. Colette, thank you very much. Thank you very much, PJ, and thanks for opening the conversation. No, I, I think, think it's a conversation that needs opening. It's important, and, 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 and you know the timber. Just one last thing I'd like to say. Of course, timber chalets. I lived in Switzerland, okay, for over fifteen years, okay, and I've lived in wooden cabins and timber cabins and timber and they're absolutely fantastic they're warm they're convenient they're they're absolutely brilliant so you know i think there is a conversation that needs to take place as to why we can't have planning for them here you know 
Can I thank you very much and I wish you well with whatever you decide to do from here on in. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, those, those timber cabins are commonplace in many, many parts of the world. Just can't do it here. Just can't do it. My inner conspiracy theorist, it's, it's within us all. My inner conspiracy theorist smells a conspiracy. But you know yourself. 0818 96 96 96. We are with our friends again from Sound Store uh, this week, giving you a chance to win a Gardena robotic lawnmower. This fellow will come out anytime you want and cut the grass, and he won't complain, and he won't look for coffee afterwards, and he won't look to be allowed to go to the pub afterwards as a reward. No, he'll just come out, cut your grass, and go back to sleep for himself. And you can get them at Sound Store, Blackpool, Sarsfields Road and Market Green, Middleton. And they have a three-day sale Friday to Sunday. But we've a freebie for you. Uh, what is this sound from the garden? All right. What's this? There's a lot of them around, or there will be a lot of them around in the next couple of weeks, and they're the size of flipping bowling balls again. What is that? Oh, it's one, uh, oh, wait, three, three ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. Text or WhatsApp. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on another busy weekend of Gaelic Games action plus reaction to Cork City's clash with UCD and Cove Rounders trip to Athlone. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. Right here, right there. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, that's an easy one. The answers are flying in. We'll draw another qualifier uh, at the end of the show and we'll make the big draw tomorrow for that robotic lawnmower. So JP from Big Man Modular and Big Man Tiny Homes also wants to join this uh, conversation that that we started there a while ago with uh, Colette because you come across this a lot, JP. Um, we were, wanted to chat to someone about modular homes anyway and, and you were actually going to do the work for... Colette down there, so so you understand what she wanted and where she wanted it very, very well. But it's a problem all over the country that people just can't get these jobs done. Morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? It is. It's a problem countrywide. You know, the planning restrictions, what people are allowed to build, not allowed to build, local only. It's just, it's it's a nightmare. I was looking at your website this morning. Like, what should, I, I think we may have spoken before. The stuff you yeah. do is very impressive, Thank and you. you can fit any space. And it's it's like it, you can go from just building the frame of a place, and then people do the finish themselves, or you can do the all the second fixes, and people can decorate and finish themselves, or you can do it turnkey. Correct. So we can suit it to to, to the client's need and the client's budget. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think, in your experience, is the plan? is the planning problem. Is it, JP, that someone just doesn't want this happening on a grand scale? 
very hard to figure out. I can't figure out why somebody who has a big enough back garden can't put something small, a nice one-bed unit in the back of it. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. This zoning of having to be within seven kilometres, again, ridiculous. Yeah. I, I get the original thinking of it was that it was to stop people from all over the, the country with moving into areas where there was cheaper property prices and it kept the prices lower for the local people. But a four kilometre, seven kilometre radius is too small. There are certain structures, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that are even so small you don't need planning. There is, but you can't live in any of them. So you can have up to 25 square metres at the rear of your house. It can have a bathroom, it can have a kitchenette, but you can't have a bedroom in it. Oh, can you not? No, technically you can't have a bedroom. The minute you have a bedroom, you have to go for planning. Oh, really? So if I wanted to put a 25 square metre, say, extension to the back of my house for, for example, my son and put a bedroom into it for him, I have to have planning. If I leave, if I, if I, don't, if I don't put it in the bedroom, that's, a, that, that's, that's bonkers altogether. So, just to confirm this, so you can have a 25 square metre separate building to the house. Separate building, okay. And you can have 40 square metres attached to the house where you don't need planning. And you can have bedrooms in that 40 square metres. But if it's a separate unit, you can't have a bedroom in it. Yeah. Now, the separate units, I mean, there's lots of people with big gardens, lucky enough to have big gardens, yeah. particularly in, in you know, that urban, urban stroke rural area. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking in terms of, a, you know, a family, a farming family, for example, that might have an acre and they have a couple of kids and we love you to put a couple of your small little, little developments or even mm-hmm. one small development on it. What kind of problems do you run into? It's, we've had three farming families in the last year refuse planning for, for their kids. Why? And it, we just, it just get not suitable or there's already been one child has developed a property and that's all they'll deem is allowed. Like why the planners can't allow, if the land meets certain criteria, a little one bed unit at the back of the house that the, the kids can live in it for a year or two years, three years, buy their site, and then that unit can be picked up, brought to the new site, and be made part of the bigger house. Yeah. Yeah. How many properties a year can you and your company uh, turn over and, and install, JP? Well, we're a small enough company, so us directly, we would do about 10 to 15 houses. But I would have access to over over two thousand houses a year if the planning relaxed. I see, I see. And has any of the housing bodies or any of the authorities gotten on to people in your line of work and said, "Come here, can we can we sort something out here because we need houses and even fast?" Um, the, the bigger housing bodies have definitely been in contact with the bigger modular companies. But a lot of the trouble with modular is it's what's called volumetric, where it's a specific built factory to that type of house. It's like the Toyota Aventus factory only builds Toyota Aventus. Yeah. So it's huge money to set up a factory like that, and you have to be turning out thousands of houses to make that profitable. But if you do it in a slightly kit form, then it's a lot more affordable and a lot easier to do. And... I don't know why the housing bodies haven't been in contact. There's over 100 modular home companies in Ireland. 
over 100. Wow. There's over 100. Now, that includes log cabins, that kind of stuff, but yeah. there's over 100. Like, they come from... I understand, JP, they come from various styles, like you said, log cabin, timber mm-hmm. frame, more steel, you know, some that some are more some are more more what you might call solid than others, more Correct. heavily specced than others. But two and a half thousand maybe. Yeah, like I have access to two factories. They're an English company but building to Lit- to Lithuania and they they do over two and a half thousand houses a year and they can literally you can book it and book out a whole year building flat crikey I see I see I see and another thing that we're talking about yesterday with Matty McGrath is mm-hmm. that in in the interim while they're looking at putting something on, on their land they want to put a caravan on it or a mobile home on it and put a little bit of a a log cabin say next to it and and, and they're not been left to that or living in it for a year while they build their own house that used to happen a lot I remember someone doing that that I knew in the 80s that while their house was being built they lived in a mobile home on, on somebody else's land you know, you can't do that now even technically you can't do it so if you have a mobile home or caravan on a site for over six months and it's connected to any services you have to have planning so I'm, I'm in the same like situation myself. I have a site and we need to put on temporary accommodation, be it a mobile home or something, while we build the house and we will struggle with it. We will struggle to get the temporary accommodation planning. It doesn't make any sense at all. No, it really does. And this is why we kind of, the modular is a great format because we can be on site on a Monday morning and you can have dinner in it that evening. What? So yeah, so we can drop in a two to three bed house Six o'clock in the morning, be on site with the crane, and you can have dinner on it that evening. So you, your rent, everything is, you know, you're not paying Hang rent. Hang on a second. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on a minute now, right? Hang on a second here. This is, I want to explore this one for a second. So you can come on site at 6 a.m., and I can have my dinner in the evening. That is correct. This sounds like something that Baz on the telly would do. <laughs> How is that done? So basically, we build the whole house inside the factory. Okay. So the kitchen's installed, flooring, painted, everything. And then the site will be prepared and we come to site on the morning, drop in the one module, two modules, three modules, however big the house is. Obviously, the more modules, the longer time we will be on site. But we can do a two-bed house, two modules in a day on site. Crikey. And you just come along, collect them to the water, connect them to the sewerage, connect exactly. them to the electric, mm-hmm. and away you go. Yeah, and all these are beyond passive. Like, I'm heating my house for about 100 euros a year. How? We, it's SIP panels, which is a structurally insulated panel, which is what we make from. Um, it's like a very fancy tim- timber frame. We're beyond passive in the air tightness. And literally, when you cook dinner, you're heating the house. They're that insulated and that air tight. Crikey. And would you and, put an L solar panel on the roof then to heat the water, or what do you do? Um, you, there's multiple ways. You can do the solar panels. You can do an on-demand gas boiler. So we do a lot of off-grid units. So you can be totally off-grid, totally powered by solar panels. Because they require... So, so if I was paying for my power, I'd be paying €350 Euros a year. I'm off-grid myself. But if I was paying the electricity, it'd be €350 Euros a year. A year? A year. Now, it's a one-bed, small... 600 square foot unit, but that's what I'd be paying a year. Holy moly. Yeah. 
they, you know, there's a the right modular, they're very efficient. As I say, JP, my, my inner conspiracy theorist, and, I, and I, I, I'm not asking you to comment on this, but I'm just throwing it out there. My inner conspiracy theorist says to me that somebody in the development and construction industry is afraid of their life that you guys might get too much of a grip. There is a bit of it. I know that we'd be part of the Construction Federation of Ireland and there is a whole fear that we're taking modular will take the trades away from the people. But we don't have the people doing the trades. That's right. That's right. We've had to simplify the building process. So how I terminology, it's like the Ford approach. You don't need a person who knows how to build a car. You need a person who knows how to put in a bolt, how to put on the windscreen. So the same with the modular, you only need one skilled person per team and then it can, it's all just like a big Lego. Yeah. We have we have a chronic shortage of trades and it's only getting worse, correct? Absolutely. There's very, very few trade trades out there. Yeah. And there's nobody going into them. No, like I, I have a new apprentice started with me there last week and there were six people in his class. Wow. And a couple, when I did my apprenticeship, there was three classes of thirty. Get away! No, it's a lot. It's twenty years ago, but <laughs> it's not. A, it's not a century ago, lad. No. And you, what were you? What, what did you apprentice as? May I ask? I, I, I a carpenter by trade. I have you. Well, bigmanmodular.ie is your website, and if 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 nothing else, it's worth a look to see what can be done with with a small space. Um, JP, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Success. Cheers. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. He was going to do the work for Colette, but there's a ton of it. There's a there's a ton of those little houses could be built all over the country. But you get that sense that I'm not a million miles off the mark there. That there are people in the construction game and the development business and all of that who would feel threatened by a little business quite like JP's or businesses like it up and down the country. And you can call me a conspiracy theorist if you will, but who benefits? The old, is it Latin? I could be wrong. Is it Latin? Qui bono? You know, always ask yourself when something isn't being allowed to happen. Qui bono? You can see who would bono, as they say, for not allowing companies like JP's to do their work up and down the country. 0818969696. All right, reminder to you, we are getting close to this. I was only looking at the calendar on my phone this morning. It is only 41 days to the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon, May 25th to 27th, raising funds again for Cork Cancer Services. And again, we need your help. You can have a coffee break, do it at home, do it online, do it at work, do it at school, do it wherever. Get a change collection box. And on the Friday, we're having a Jersey Day again. That's May 26th, where you're Jersey to work, to school or home and help raise money for the Corks 96 of M Giving for Living Radiothon. Get on to us. We'll send you a fundraising pack and all the ideas. 96FM.ie. It's so easy. You're all pros at it at this stage. And we're so looking forward to it once again. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Back to us in 40 Two days. Is it 41 or 42? Hold on till I look again. 41 days. May 25th. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. 
Drive Home, weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on The Big Drive Home for the biggest showbiz interviews. I toured with Sam Smith in the States and uh, the whole night pretty much consisted of the piano and Sam Smith wearing a Beyonce wig. I've got the competition guaranteed to have you shouting at the radio the one second song. And it's doing my head in. I'm going demented with this. Does this song even exist? For all that's happening in Cork and a bit of crack in the evening, you know what to do. Join me weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. With Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. On Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. I have a friend who lives very, very near to Phoenix Park. In fact, it's where she goes for her evening walk sometimes. And I just got a text there during the news that she'd never seen such security in all of her born days. They closed the park, just closed it completely until five o'clock this evening or thereabouts So for the visit of Joe Biden. And then there's the posh dinner with the clinky glasses and all that tonight. The newspaper's full of pictures of the events uh, west yesterday and the, the events in Belfast. I heard his speech in Belfast uh, yesterday afternoon. have to say I was quite impressed with it. The little political nudge that he was giving to the DUP. Kind of saying, look, it's none of my business, but you need to get back to the table. It's none of my business, but if I had the opportunity, I'd kick your arse up, to, up, up the... the, the that big road before a storm was what I was hearing. I don't know about you. I want to focus on it for a few minutes. I'll come back to modular housing in a minute. We're getting quite a lot of responses to that horrific video uh, from uh, um, my lovely horse group um, of that dog out in the Amber Garage in Bishopstown last Friday. A lot of people quite horrified and very upset by it. But let's focus for a minute, if we can, on Joe Biden. Like I said, his uh, photographs all over the papers this morning. Front of the examiner has beaming Biden savers return home. And there he is. It's a lovely picture, actually. He's like a fellow who was getting ready to go for a round of golf rather than being the president of the United States uh, visiting us here. But he's uh, holding a, a mobile phone and taking a selfie. And he, he's a very experienced selfie taker. He certainly knows how to hold a phone while he's taking a selfie. There's another one of him in the pub in Dundalk, the Windsor pub, with Michal Martin. Where apparently he, he thought Michal Martin was a loud man. We'll allow that. We'll allow that. Front page of the sun. Oh, I, that t- tells us about that that <laughs> fabulous story. I, I think it's a great story of when he's talking about the rugby. When Ireland beat the All Blacks in Soldier's Field <laughs> he's related to one of the players I forget who it is just now <laughs> oh Rob Carney but he said well done on beating the hell out of the Black and Tans which if you were a rugby fan on the night it did kind of feel like that I remember watching that match with tears in my eyes and of sheer joy there's another one of self. he's silly selfie mad and he's not afraid to get close to people he's not afraid to get into a crowd and chat and take pictures 
it's actually quite nice to see. He does come across as a as a nice elfler. That's that's how he comes across to me anyway, as a nice elfler. One man who might be able to tell us more about that is Bobby Wayne. Now, Bobby Wayne, Bobby, you're a Douglas man, um, but you're the co-owner with your husband Jerome of McAteer's Food House in Dundalk, and you had Mr. Biden in for a visit. Yesterday, Bobby, he comes across in the pictures as just a very likable outlet. Is he? Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, PJ? Well, I am. <coughs> it was, uh, yes, incredibly surreal. It's mad listening to the past few minutes. Everything you're saying is exactly that. He, he literally came across as one of my, as a great older customer that we would have, as if he's been in our place for, you know, the past 10 years. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was fantastic, you know. Fantastic, and you know, you, you mentioned you were just mentioning about this dog in Bishopstown a second ago, and that came up as well because we talked a lot about about rescue dogs, you know. Okay. And um, and he, he he allowed me, and I was standing next to Michal Martin at the time, and I was he allowed me, to, and I talked about the issues of puppy farm and backstreet breeders in, in the country, and one of the biggest problems we have. I didn't want to go into it too heavily because it was a very positive day and I was doing enough of it I'd given them enough information to take away about the rescue and about issues about you know dog, dogs in Ireland so I, 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 I'd given him enough to take away with, with, his, with his you know so I was careful to keep it fun you know and uh, but an absolute gentleman an absolute gentleman PJ it was just so easy for us inside there with him you know Bring me back to the start of this Bobby how did you end up with POTUS in the shop? Um we got, over the past few weeks, we noticed teams coming in to us, um, you know, they were, look, they, we, they, were, they were definitely different. There was the black suits coming in and there were several of them. And, you know, like we've a, we've, we have actually a very large black community in Dundalk. So we're, you know, we're used to the multicolours of it. But it was just the fine dressing and all this kind of stuff. And you knew the tailoring was... Black Hawk Down and White House related, you know, coming into your place. But right. the, the first couple of times we didn't notice. So you were being they, cased, like, and did we you were, did you know you were being cased? No, we didn't. But they were doing it to several places in the town, so we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get that. And then, then they couldn't even get seats because they were too busy at certain times. And they were coming in, and they were. Then they rang ahead a couple of times, so we kept them in area and. And they were in after about a couple of times being in and having coffees and lunch and whatever it was. Um, they asked to see the two of us, and they just said, "Look, we've fallen in love with your place, and we we know that uh, the special guest, okay, that's <laughs> falling for the first couple of days." I was I turned around to Joe after that first meeting, and I said, "Oh, special guest? Is that, are we sure?" <laughs> there was no mention of the president. You so eventually, I think I, I turned around and said, oh, "We're talking about President Biden, now. we?" Oh yes, yes, POTUS, 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 POTUS. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Oh." Grant. Very surreal. You know what I mean? Very At what surreal. point, Bobby, do you start looking for the hidden camera going, this is a wind-up? Listen, talking about cameras, so they have to come in and defunction. They have to literally our all our camera system, all our Wi-Fi system had to be turned off the day beforehand. You know what I mean? Like everything. We, we like we'd sealed. We, I didn't even know if my Wi-Fi system was back on. I, I, my, I'm shockers in work at the moment. And it's, um, it's, 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 yeah, it's, as I say, the, the most surrealest thing that's ever happened to us. And Jesus, we've had a, lots of different wacky experiences over the years, but we just never thought like, it would be like this because he was supposed to come in and do the, the speeches and all that in our place. And we felt it was going to be very serious, but we'd go with it. That's fine. And then the numbers were going from 80 to 100 to 120 to 150. 
And then the day before yesterday, it was 180, and I, we had to call them and say, lads, it's going to be chaos in here. Are you sure? We, uh, we, look, we actually were thinking of that, but we don't. We really want to come to you. We said, well, look, you can come to us. We'd still love to have a visit with Joe, but you know what I mean? 180 people coming in behind him? It's going to be insane. So they kind of said, look, how do we modify it? So they, that's when they decided to put the Windsor on afterwards mm. and come to us. So us became, there was no real, there was no real um, etiquette for what he had to do. And you could see that in him as well. Yeah. He was coming in for the banter. His team obviously told him about us, told that we were big, not only, you know, a gay couple, fair enough. I think there must have been something in that because America's regressing and Ireland's progressing as far as, as far as you know, gay people are concerned. So it was just, it was, it was. I think it was all of that. But it was, um, it, it was just amazing. And my husband's mother, like, who's a great character in her eighties, like she was. Just, <laughs> she is a, a typical strong northern woman. Don't show your emotions. All that. It was incredible to see her reaction with him. <laughs> and you know? he was. Was it? He, he was only supposed to stay what a few minutes. How long did he stay? Probably about 40 minutes or so inside there. Like, we, like, halfway down our place, we have a huge long deli and it goes into the hot deli and then it comes into the cafe restaurant. And they, the Secret Service and all the press thought he was, at one point, at the end of the deli, I think you can see it on, on, on main RT thing when he was standing there, I could hear Secret Service saying, okay, let's, get him, let's, get, let's turn him around now and start moving him out. Okay, and I said to myself, "No way! I need to talk to him about dogs. I need to talk to him about dog rescue, and especially Dundalk dog rescue." And uh, so I said, "No way!" So I just turned around and I said, "Joe, I hear you've rescued dogs." And that was it. He put his arm around my shoulder, and I led him down the back. And it was suddenly you could feel the shuffle of Secret Service. Oh, yeah, he, was there any, at this stage there was a fella talking into yeah. his sleeve frantically? Imagine oh, <laughs> he's oh, taking the ponies. He's moving off that. He's moving off that. Moving <laughs> And all my crew, the cameras out. There was mention about cameras, and I just had the lads look, look. If they don't say anything, walk away. So all my crew were doing videos, cameras. The amount of stuff that we had from him, like he, the hug he gave me, me my husband Jerome down the back because we were talking about. I was telling him about a dog that I born into my hand 18 years ago and died a few weeks ago in my arms, and oh. very, yeah. But look, wonderful end of life. So it was beautiful. It wasn't. It wasn't sad. It was she had an incredible life and lived with us for eighteen years. So, yeah. you know, and and, and he, 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 I, I, look, I narrowly say there was a tear in his eye. You know, he yeah. would. You, you sent him away with a hamper, I think, did you? We sent him away with two things. We 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 because he's from the peninsula and his his grandparents Finnegan are buried in a, in a in a an old graveyard now, a complete kind of unused graveyard at the back of Whitestown Beach. So I went down there on Saturday, actually, with the rescue dogs. We took them all down there, and I picked up a pile of beach shells and beach stones and beach moss and everything from the ground. So an artist who does, who makes bespoke um, kind of frame cards for us in our business for customers, she quickly made a, um, a, a kind of a, a card for him with the White House on it, with us on it, with Lily Finnegan's down the end, as if the Cooley Peninsula was on the card, you know? Wow. And she used all the stones to design the beach and everything on it. So the beach are from Whitestown Beach, where he's Beautiful. from. So he, he was blown away by it. But I also get him a medal. I, I come from, I'm from, uh, my mother was a Beckett, Samuel Beckett's first cousin. And oh, right. I have different medals and everything else from my grandfather, who's an amazing, who was a, an Irish national swimmer, and he swam in the Olympics in the 1920s and that kind of stuff. And 
So we have different medals, and I have several of them, and I, I have one beautiful one, which is an 18-carat gold medal with, with a tree-leaf clover of, uh, in the centre of it, and it's such a beautiful little piece. And I just, I just, I don't know what about it. It was on my mind since we knew he was coming into us, that a gift to give him. I just, this was ringing in my head, I have to give him this medal. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And it was something because it came from my ancestors, and he's here talking about his ancestors and reaching back to his family. So I, I talked to him about his medal I gave it to him. Listen, he was so, oh my God, I couldn't take yeah. that. Like, but but, but, but do, do you think that this, you know, look, some of the critics would say, ah, sure, he's coming over now and putting on the green hat and the green jersey just to sound schmalsy. But is, does he come across to you as a man who knows and gets and loves his Irish roots? Ah, completely, PJ. I mean it. It was just, this. there was no messing here. Why would... No disrespect to him. Why would an 80-year-old man travel across back to Ireland unless there was this something? It was obviously a huge part of his life, his Irishness, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I, Come here to me. Were you by any chance, I know you're a Douglas man, were you by any chance an auctioneer in a previous life? I was, I was. Hang I was. on a second there. Hang on a second, Bobby. Kate? Hello? How are you? Bobby Wayne? You sold our house in the old Blackrock Road many years ago. <laughs> oh it's gas, yeah. And do you know what? Um, I'm in the same place as Vicky, you know, down in Carrick Line. But um, how, I'm delighted for you. I'm so thrilled. That's oh, fantastic. Because I didn't know where you were the restaurant. I hadn't a clue. I just knew you had one. So I'm delighted for you. Brilliant. Oh, sure, Great it was, news. It was insane. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. That's all I want to wish you well. Thank you so much. Fred. Take Thank care. So Thanks, Kate, for that. Kate, Kate's a regular listener to oh the God. show. So, so listen, tell me a bit about yourself. How did you end up going from being an auctioneer in Douglas to to co-running a, a food house in in Dundalk? Yeah, I grew up in seventies and the eighties in Cork, and I knew as a young in my teenage that something was different. Something was up. I wasn't, you know. The girls were there, they were, you know, I wasn't a bad-looking fella, there was girls around, but something was wrong and it was a deep problem. So, you know, it becomes very deep and inner and, you know, I was a deeply closeted man and then I had that in my, as I left and got into work, couldn't study in college. What did I do? Oh, I'd become an auctioneer and next thing, two years later, I opened up my own place with a great fella called Kevin O'Sullivan from Cork and we had a fantastic few years and I remember sitting down with Kevin saying, Kevin, I got to leave after a few years. I couldn't, I didn't, didn't come out to Kevin or anything. But I got to leave. And I left and I didn't know what to do. I felt I had to leave Cork, you know. And mm. I, at that age, it was just, I just didn't see, I didn't see a future of myself there. I had too much of my past in, there. And I just, so I left and came to Dublin and um, I got involved in music for years and started releasing music. And I came out on a, a radio station in, 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 I think it was Care or Cashel radio station, whatever. Okay. And, you know, then I had management ringing me, would you believe, three days later and didn't like that. And this is several years before Boyzone and all that and anything before, a, you know, yeah. a, you know, yeah. like a singer. Or it's, it's impossible, you know, Bobby, for a lot of younger people, it's impossible for them to understand the concept that, com- that of, of, of what it was like back then, you know. Absolutely. I'd be good personal friends as well as the show being great friends of Joe Bourne. Uh, from yeah. Josephs and Lachine. I don't know if you know Joe, um, but but Joe, Joe had the same the same story when he was a young man, like coming out like that. He had to leave his native native yeah. town. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. listen, I have amazing family, like amazing yeah. family. My mother and father. When I came, I came out to an Easter Sunday years ago in Kinsale. I don't know. I was in my late twenties, and I came, and like they they were incredible. They were incredibly upset because they knew how much family 
were important to me. And so they saw no marriage. They thought they thought it was going to be a lonely life, yeah. you know. And that was the wonderful side of it. And as I say, I come from a big rugby family as well. So right. there was no way it could have been, I, I thought as a young fellow, I could have said it and dealt with it. So it was lovely that I was able to, because my parents adored my husband. We used to go on holidays together. And the latter part of their life, I, I would say my father's favourite son-in-law would have been my, my other half. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, that yes. kind of thing. And where did so, you meet her? And how did you meet <laughs> Ah, oh, sure, listen, the old obvious. In the George in Dublin, no. ni- 1998, over a pint, he was sitting at the, at the bar, and, and uh, I called him over to me. I was with a group of friends, and he ran away terrified, and uh, that was really it. <laughs> so the next, thing, and the next thing you know, you're meeting Joe Biden together. He did, and he loved the story. Joe loved the story. When I met Jerome, he had our, Jerome had our first dog, our first dog then in 98, in New York. So when I go over to New York, I meet his first dog, Stoli. And we ended up bringing him back, and his, he was the mother of my dog who died two weeks ago. And, and Joe, just, Joe just loved the story, the whole continual of life and the minding of them. And, and he was even saying, God, it's a pity we can't have them longer. And I said, oh, Joe, if you said it, you know, pity they can't live with us the whole life. I know. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? So it is. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So you're, back, you're up the walls today because people coming in to say this is where, <laughs> this is where Joe Biden was. Oh, we're up the walls like the, the, like we're full with people queuing to get in at the moment and we're, we're like, it'll be like that all day and no disrespect, but our phones are hopping from people who want to chat to us and, and uh, which is great and, you know, because as I said to you the one, one of the biggest buzzes I got from talking to me yesterday was the love of dogs and that just was so easy to talk about and yeah. it, without talking about the dark and the gloomy side of why we have to open these centres and why it's important like we raised 550,000 on the street of Dundalk over five years you know, to build the rescue centre. Like that just 550 grand, wow. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible. It shows the love of dogs here, the love of, you know, we all that way, but, you know, the shame of the puppy farm. And I was delighted that Michal Martin was next to us when we were talking about that because I wasn't directing anything at them because I have to admit, I thought Michal was a gentleman yesterday. He couldn't have been nicer to us and he even helped us a bit. He was like our, in, at some point when we were talking about things, he even helped us the way we portrayed that to the president you know mm. and uh which was really good you know like he was he was a, a great person to have there so and he loved the fact that it was uh, cork from cork and it's funny i think you mentioned that that joe thought he was a loud man for a second and all that <laughs> oh, God, that was great it's a moment it's a moment that you'll treasure bobby yourself and jerome and everyone there for for oh, a forever. long time to come i think forever forever all forever right, great great talking to you Great talking to you, and uh, thank you for taking our call. I know you're busy, um, but Fergal said to me this morning that he, he had a chance of chatting to you, so we jumped at it. Thank you very much. Bobby Wayne, a Douglas man, uh, husband of Jerome from McIntyre's Food House. They were a great gifted the opportunity to meet and greet Joe Biden yesterday, and like everything that comes across or seems to come across, that he's just a lovely elf, a lovely personality, uh, great and chatty and friendly and does selfies. That is true by the looks of things. Thank you so much for that, uh, Bobby. 0818 96, 96 96 On modular homes, Kate says, so hundreds of modular homes can be erected for families coming into the country. But a Cork woman can't build a tiny home for herself on a tiny little plot of land. This is crazy. Yeah, it's all of that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Let me do this now. 
because if I don't, I will forget it. Good morning, it says. Would you please wish our parents, Dennis and Mary Coleman, from Greenfields, Model Farm Road, a very happy wedding anniversary. They're celebrating their diamond 60th anniversary, Saturday, 15th April. They got married in Gronobar Church at 9 o'clock in the morning at their reception in the Victoria Hotel on Patrick Street. God. And they used to call that the wedding breakfast then, didn't they? You got married at 9 in the morning and you were sitting down eating at half past 10. Uh, yeah. They have seven children, 18 grandchildren and three great-granddaughters. And thanks to them for being fabulous parents. Lots of love and thanks a million. More than delighted. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Joe, it's when you turn on a radio programme or a news bulletin, but a radio programme like this in particular, we're always looking to bring you something that you might not have known. And I certainly didn't know this. Linda Kelly and I spoke many times during lockdown, during COVID, about restrictions in maternity units and how tough they were and how difficult it was for people, particularly people having a difficulty, shall we say. I did not know, Linda Kelly, that those restrictions were still there. And I think a lot of listeners wouldn't have known that. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is so sad that we're still talking about this now, particularly in situations where hospitals are reconsidering the mandatory use of masks. And it's fair to say that things have improved a lot from when we last spoke. It's not the really dire situation it was then, but we know that there are still problems. And so today there's probably people going out to CUMH for an antenatal appointment. And as soon as they get in, they're being told, sorry, your partner has to wait outside. And now what I understand actually is most people are ignoring that when it's being said to them. Um, But really people should have an expectation at this point when they go to the hospital with their partner that there is no question that they're being asked to wait outside. Yeah. Rules were introduced of course in in March 2020. Very strict rules overnight. Uh, And and they lasted for, for quite some time. What did Stephen Donnelly do then in August of 2021? So Stephen Donnelly made announcements that there was no need for the restrictions to be in place in maternity hospitals. Um, And I think at the time when we would have spoken at that time, there was broad agreement from the political system that they didn't need to be in place at the level that they were at. And you remember that was at the point where if somebody was going through a pregnancy loss or some devastating news in a maternity hospital, they were being forced to do it on their own. And after that, we had an engagement with the HSC for a long number of months to really try and improve the situation. And it did in a lot of instances. And then last summer in July, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, which is the arm of the HSC responsible for infection prevention control measures during COVID um, and also generally, they retired all of their COVID-19 advice. So from last summer, really, there should have been an expectation that things were in the main reverting back to pre-pandemic times. So, so let me get this right. So in August 2021, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting this, this together for people who'd have no connection with the services. So mm-hmm. just, so, so the, obviously they were introduced when they were introduced. And I think we'd all agree at the time we just did 
what we could to protect people. But in August of 2021, the minister himself said that these restrictions were no longer necessary. And he was, Mm -hmm. in many places, he was ignored. In July of 2022, like you said, that branch of the HSE that looks, looks at these things, it said in July of 2022, there was no need for any of these restrictions to be in place anymore. Yet they remained in place. In some instances, so it's predominantly now around general antenatal appointments. But I did have a very harrowing story over the weekend from somebody attending CUMH, whereby they were going into A&E with a very bad bleed and they were told their partner was stopped from coming in with them. There's absolutely no justification for that to happen anymore. And I think the other piece as well that is really upsetting people is they can't, they still can't. There's an almost blanket ban on bringing in any older children to visit their new sibling. And I think families are really now at this stage finding that very distressing, particularly from a logistics point of view as well. It's also very difficult if you don't have other care arrangements you know it may mean that your partner can't come to visit you if they don't have somebody to mind an older child Mm -hmm. and so you're actually really causing a lot of hardship to that family and there's there's no justification for it anymore because we know that those covid specific guidances have all been retired and now we see that the mask wearing mandate is also coming to an end in hospitals 19th of april which i think is just next week the 19th of april masks will no longer I was in the bonds myself only a week or two ago for just for a, a routine scan and I had to wear a mask right up into the into the It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really really want it all to work out while you're away. monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
the room, but that will be gone now from the 19th. And and I, I, this, I, can, I just can't get my head around this. Both the Minister for Health and that branch of the HSE responsible for these things both said back as far as last July there was no need for these restrictions, yet they're still there. Who has the right, Linda, to override both of those, shall we say, austere authorities? Well, I think that's the, that's the question we've been asking right throughout this whole process because it has shone a light that hospitals are operating without sanction, without consequence in making these decisions. And I think it has kind of brought to the fore that there are serious questions to be asked about that because what, you know, what decision-making power is there within hospitals that they can, that they can operate outside of that and impose on women attending maternity services that they have to do it on their own. It's a very anxious time. It's a very joyous time. But when you walk over the threshold of the hospital to go in for an antenatal appointment, you don't know what's going to happen at that antenatal appointment. Anything could happen, um, good, bad or indifferent. And that's why people need to have support with them. And people shouldn't have to worry that their partner is going to be stopped at the door anymore. And people should be able to bring in their other children to visit their newborn, particularly when you're in, if you have a cesarean section, you could be in hospital for three to four days. It's a very long time to be away if you have other young children. Um, and it's something I think that really needs now a bit of focus yeah. from the HSC at senior leadership team level to make sure that all hospitals are operating because it's not ha- like you know if you talk to anyone who's going to Hollis Street in Dublin they're having very positive experiences yes. um, and it's not the same that postcode lottery is back in place and it really needs to be looked at Yeah, because it does I mean it, it just it's a question that comes up too frequently I think when you're talking about anything to do with politics or health or any element of of public services here the minister said lift the restrictions the important body within the HSE said lift the restrictions and yet there are executives in hospitals who can ignore those instructions which brings us to ask the old question Linda who the hell is running the show who is really in charge and when you find out the answer to that, PJ, I think there's lots of us who'd be interested to know the answer because it's been a real struggle. I think we were, when Professor Martin Cormican was in situ, he was a really incredible person to be able to actually discuss these issues with at the HSC level and when he left his post that engagement came to an end and we need leadership like that again now within the HSC to make sure that this doesn't become the new normal for people. I heard heard a number of interviews with with Professor Cormac in, in the course of restrictions and what I found about him was absolutely stuck to his reasons for doing what he was doing but scrupulously fair in that discussion. Absolutely. An absolute gentleman, I would say. And if it wasn't for him and a woman named Angela O'Neill, I think the very worst of the restrictions that were put in place would still be in place to this day if it wasn't for those people. So who's benefiting benefiting from the restrictions that are still there? Only... Only a, a cadre of management who want quieter, easier hospitals to run without there being partners there to see what's happening and to advocate for the person they're with would be my honest assessment, PJ. 
I don't think too many people would disagree with you. Linda, thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. Who is in flipping charge? You have to ask yourself. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Question 10. In what comedy series did Mr. Miyagi actor Pat Marisa own a diner? Oh, jeez. Oh. Um, uh, happy days. Was it a total guess? A total guess. Yeah. Sometimes out of 10 a year you get something, don't you? Listen, we've got a career out of it, so... <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you've just won 2,000 euro, buddy. Thank you, chaps. It's been great. Good luck. Well done. Have a good one. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. I don't see why these restrictions should still be in place when everyone involved says there's no need for them. But you've another take on it, and I can't disagree with you here either. Morning. Hi, good morning. What do you want to say? Um, I just was listening this morning. I was like, oh, I hope now they're going to put a positive spin on it. Um, I've had two babies during COVID, so we've had the restrictions in place, but... I had a lovely experience up there. Like, I had no visitors. It was literally just about mom and baby. Um, like, my partner came in for the labour. He stayed, had his little bond session, and then he got to go home, and I was able just to go and just relax. And as soon as I was ready, I went home, and I did it through It's called the domino scheme. Yeah. So the midwife literally came to my house every day for, the, like, the five days after the birth. Sure. And like I had their mobile number, if I did the littlest question, I rang them, and like it was, it was just very personal, very intimate. It was just about like mom and baby. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have been ready for visitors up there. Like my last baby, I was home after a few hours. I was like in my own bed, watched Netflix, like had a Chinese. Like my family were able to call over and visit. Like it was just lovely. Yeah. And like the room I was sharing with um, the girl next to me, she had a section, like her baby was with Fussy and like for her sake as well, I wouldn't have wanted visitors, she would have been, do you know, like wouldn't have been able to relax. Yeah. You so you liked the, the peace and quiet. I loved it. And like even when I was coming home, people were like, God, you're mad, you should stay in the hospital for a while, for a bit longer. But I was like, sure, I'm much more comfortable in my own, in, in your own bed, for we all are like... Yeah. So I was able just to like, you know, just be in my own surroundings, and I just had a lovely experience anyway. Yeah, your partner but, was there obviously, and could come and go as exactly, pleased, and yeah. anybody else that you want. And maybe that's the point, Lisa. That you know, anybody else that you wanted could come, but but what if you wanted them and they couldn't come? I know. I do find like if you were like I was just lucky that mine were very low risk and right. Like, that was fine for me. I suppose if you're a high risk, if you have a high risk pregnancy, you definitely want the support. But like, I just don't think you'd need your whole family tree there with you. <laughs> Someone was telling me this morning about their own situation. Their first child was born and there was barely room 
in the ward for all the people that came up to see the child. You could nearly start selling tickets on the door. Like, that's overdoing it too. I, I don't know why anyone does that. You'll see the child in a couple of days when the mother comes home, like. Yeah, like, it is very exciting, but for, like, the mom, like, you're just, for me anyway, like, I just want to have a shower, I just want to get in clean clothes, and I want to just cuddle the baby all to myself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've, no, you've, you've, you're, you've done the hard work here, you know? You're, yeah, you're, like, it, it, exactly, it's labour, it's hard work. I remember, look, when, 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 when twins were born, there'd be 26 in October now, so it's not today nor yesterday. But when they were born, because it was a twin, a twin birth and it was fraternal twins, and some of the trainees in the hospital hadn't ever seen a twin birth before. So Dr. Fenton, the gynae, invited some of the nursing students and the younger doctors in to see and we could have sold tickets and merchandise <laughs> such was the crowd inside in the maternity ward but then afterwards when we were downstairs and the tea and toast came and all that she said to me would you ever tell everyone to just shag off I want to sleep exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, like just after doing one of the hardest things you've ever done yeah you just want to like have your tea and toast like I was literally when we were going in with our last I was like I can't wait to have my three course meal in peace I just want to sit on the bed gobble all the food and just, just. <laughs> I want a snack box and I want Netflix yeah and then that night like I I came home very early like in the morning so that mm-hmm. night so we got a, like my mom and dad called over we had a Chinese I was in my own pajamas Netflix I was like oh this is great <laughs> <laughs> like do you sleep better in your own bed all right, Lisa. Cheers. Thank you for that. Th- Lisa had the choice to make, and she made it. She loved it. And other people may not have been so lucky, and she gets that too. Thank you, Lisa. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Um. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sound store. Our friends at Sound Store, Blackpool, Sarsfields Road, and Market Green, Middleton, a Gardena, or Gardena. Get it right, PJ. A Gardena. Robot lawnmower. Uh, one to give away this week. We have qualifiers every day. A sound from yonder garden. What is that? Text it and your name to 083 396 We'll draw our... Uh, qualifier at the end of the show. There's a, a fact-finding mission. I love the way they call these things fact-finding mission. I mean, I do love that. But they're going over to Lisbon, the council are, heading over to Lisbon to see what a supervised injection centre might be like. Because in, in, in Portugal, they've changed their whole drugs culture, they've changed how they deal with drugs in society, they've changed all those things and they have started to put in some injection centres and there's been a huge call here locally for the last number of years to put one in on the basis that look, people are going to take drugs including, particularly including heroin. They're going to do it whether we like it or not, whether we approve of it or not, they're going to do it. Everything else has failed. So maybe we could assist them to do it safely without overdosing or killing themselves or picking up any kind of disease that they might from dirty needles and all of that. Kira, good morning. Good morning, how are you doing? Good. You like this idea? <laughs> I do, I do. I'm a big fan of this idea. It helps to save lives and, you know, that's always a positive. Did we talk before? 
We sure did. I think we did. <laughs> I recognise your voice now. Yeah, yeah. You, you studied this. You've been. You've... Well, it's, it's it became an area of interest of mine over over the course of my uh, psychology undergrad. Uh, just substance use in general kind of became a, an area of interest. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably more read up on the subject than your average substance user. <laughs> right. But yeah, I have a pretty good understanding of uh, what goes on in safe injection facilities and how decriminalization works in Portugal. And, and is it a fair argument to say, well, look, people are going to do this anyway. We've tried everything to make them stop and they won't. It's as old as time and it's always going to happen. So let's allowed them to do it safely. Is it as simplistic an argument as that? Yeah, it is that simple, really. Like, the war on drugs has failed astronomically. We've all seen that. Like, you know, drug use just keeps increasing. They're they're unable to stop people from using drugs, so we may as well enable people to use drugs safely and help them to access uh, drug treatment services if they wish. And maybe they might not turn to crime, some of them, too. That's it. Um... So the decriminalization um, has the potential to take the power away from from gangs. Yeah. Take take the focus away from the black market, you know. Yeah. If there's some sort of regulation along with the decriminalization, see, it all depends. There are a number of ways that different countries are doing this. Yeah. I don't think we're looking at that here. What they're focusing on is, well, let's let's maybe put this safe space there. We're not looking at decriminalizing heroin or anything like that, but if they're going to get their heroin and come into a safe space to do it, at least they won't OD, at least they'll get a clean needle. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. There has never been a, an overdose death in a safe injection facility because there are personnel there to ensure it doesn't happen. People are monitored while they use their while they use the heroin, and their substance is tested to make sure it's not contaminated with fentanyl or, fentanyl or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. so um, it's it's much safer. It's much safer, and like you said, um, providing them with clean needles um, in order to reduce uh, diseases transmitted by blood from sharing needles and things like that. And okay. <coughs> sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because was it you gave me that stat before that anywhere that they've brought in a supervised injection centre, there's never been an OD death? No, there's never been one in a supervised injection centre. And there are estimates vary, but there are somewhere between 100 and 200 safe injection sites globally. They Mm. might be mobile or they might be fixed premises. Uh, But the first one was in Switzerland in the 80s. So they're kind of... 40 you know, years ago. Pi- yeah, so they're in kind for, of pi- in 40 pioneering years, they've this. they've never had an OD. <laughs> Not in the facility. Now, I can't speak for outside of the facility, of course, but yeah, that's it, it, it's never happened in the facility. Wow. In any any of these facilities, there's no recorded death. Okay. Because personnel are on hand with, with uh, naloxone, Narcan, and, you know, overdose reversers yes, to yes. save lives. Yes, yes. And, yes. and also, like, uh, regarding the community... Um, there are huge reductions in uh, drug-related litter in um, in areas where they they've established safe injection sites. Uh, uh. There are Something those like- there are those Kira who would say, "Well, haven't we a queue out the door of the emergency department? We have a shortage of nurses and doctors. Why would we spend taxpayers' money 
on enabling people to do something that is against the law anyway? Well, we're reducing other harms, reducing loss of life, which is massive, and reducing other illnesses that are transmitted by sharing needles that are not clean. So there's a there will be a reduction in you know over drug related harms like that and um the safe injection facilities like they'll refer people for counseling and primary health care things like that you know and um uh uh, the heroin like addicted communities they can be a population that's hard to reach so you're never going to ask for help on a street corner or in a doorway but if you're inside this place and you meet a nurse, a kind nurse or something, there's your opportunity. That's it. That's one of the outcome goals for these facilities is to help people to stop using drugs. But they know they can't force it. You know, it's, the option is there if 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 somebody wants to get clean, but you can't force somebody to get no. clean. So no. the option is there, you know. And and if you need if you need to in the and it's so important in addiction and anyone who knows addiction will tell you this. In the moment where someone says, I need help, they need it then. There and yeah. then. Not yeah, in a week, need, not in a month. Yeah. yeah, they need to be able to access services as quickly as possible. And if they're you know, consistently accessing safe injection facilities, then, then the option is there, you know? All right, all right. Kira, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Yeah, this group is heading to Portugal next month on a fact-finding trip. I love those the fact-finding trip. The, the Lord Mayor is going, the former Lord Mayor, uh, Colm Kelleher, and of course, I spoke to Colm at the time he became Lord Mayor about his own brother, Don, who... Uh, in recovering from heroin addiction Um, a man I'd love to speak to would be Don Um, at the time it didn't happen but my door is always open but thank you for that actually speaking of drugs and all the things that go along with it I went along last night having had the chap on the radio yesterday I went along to that play called The Examination last night and afterwards I met uh, Gary and Willa Willa White they were interviewed in the bar of the Everyman by James Leonard of the, the two Norries, and it was just a fascinating encounter. The play itself is a masterpiece. That is the only word for it. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's about a confrontation between a prisoner who's doing time for whatever he did and a victim of crime who's trying to understand where the prisoner is coming from. And they're both trying to understand where the other one is coming from. And it it's it's very adult, very, very adult. It's got little moments of comedy in it, but really, really adult, um, really, really eye-opening, really, really thought-provoking. Certainly would, I, I, I think, should be seen as widely as possible, should be seen. Um, Broken Talkers Theatre, touring it. Just the one night they did in the Everman, I said to them last night, bring it back again, bring it back again, because it needs to be packed out. People need to see it. But Willa... I met him afterwards in, in the bar of the Everyman and what an absolute diamond. What a gent. And I, I said to him, you know, we, re- we regularly talk about stuff like drugs and jail and crime and how people get into drugs and crime and jail and all that. We regularly talk about it on the show. And he said, anytime, anytime, he'd give us a stop of words. But he told us a story in the bar last night 
of when he needed help. And he was in Mountjoy. He was in a dreadful state. He was injecting into anywhere you could inject. Some of them unbroadcastable. And he was, in his own word, effed. Completely and totally effed. And there was one prison warden in the joy. And he turned around to him one day. And this prison officer was always saying, look, if you need to get into rehab, if you need to get help, if you need someone to talk to, if you want to try and get off them things. And he turned around to him one day and he said, can you help me? And that was the day his life turned around. And Willa is 22 years clean now. And what an absolute diamond guy. 0818-969696. Your next way to win free money starts Monday on Cork's 96FM. Thousands of euro to be won. All you have to do is snap the app. Do I? Download the app. You should have the app anyway for listening to all our podcasts. But download the app. Snap a little screenshot and then stay listening for your chance to WhatsApp it in. And if we call you back, you'll go in the draw. And then in the evenings, Lorraine will draw someone. And every day, there's 500 quid on offer. Snap the app. Download the app today to be ready. It all starts Monday, April 17th. Only on Quarks 96 FM. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Quarks 96 FM. Quarks 96 FM. Minds are mine. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Sometimes the machines in this building develop a mind of their own. <laughs> ah. 0818 96 96 96 is the number that takes to WhatsApp 083 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie if you're interested in rugby and in particular the awful injuries that can happen to people while they're playing rugby uh, got one coming up for you that's very very interesting on Joe Biden oh yeah poor old Marion sorry Marion that story about the dog and what the vet said to me years ago you can imagine the state I was in sitting into my car that night with no dog um, for God's sake PJ I'm in work now crying into the computer hoping nobody walks into the office sorry Marion actually I'm not sorry I think it was a lovely thing for a vet to say and no Bernie I'm not calling those again because I don't want any more Marions getting on um, Michael Lee says with regard to what happened to that poor dog in Bishopstown would it be possible to crack down the culprit by means of CCTV in the garage you'd never know you'd never know and hopefully that may happen now that there's a, a Garda investigation on Joe Biden lads lads says Sarah lads I love Joe Biden there's no show like a Joe show but that's not new he's cute like <laughs> but in regards to having the last say for one of the most powerful countries in the world I don't know I think he's a small bit past it God love him says Sarah well he is what is he 80 now or 81 but he's fresh looking he carries it well as they say and then Ray Ray says hi PJ bit of balance please uh, regarding the love for Biden 
in the Irish media. The man is a warmonger. A bit of research would confirm that. But hey, we can't mention it, as we might upset some people. Uh, Biden says he stands for peace. What a hypocrite, says Ray. Yeah, he's 80. Thanks. Yes, Ray, you're entitled to your view on that, Ray, and many would, would, would agree with you. But he's here as a guest of the nation, and there was queues of people waiting in the pouring rain to see him, catch a glimpse of him. And you heard from from Bobby earlier on about the, the, the buzz of having him in the premises. So there is... To, I, we, we get that people have a big problem with American foreign policy, American politics and the president and all that. But he's here in a, as a courtesy visitor to our nation. And I think we can be nice, do you know? 0818 96 96 96. Have I more to do before I go to this. I'll come back to it. But tomorrow we're going to look at some of your favourite brands. Read a fascinating story during the week about your favourite household brand names and where they came from. You wouldn't believe it. And then there's the brand. We're also kind of quietly looking here since this story came out during the week. Has anybody in Cork been to or hosted or gone about hosting a Tupperware party? in like the last 30 years because I remember my mother going to them I don't remember her hosting remember, the, remember her going to them a Tupperware party Tupperware is in the news all week you know how corny is this jams keep jammier hams keep heavier cakes keep cakeier flakes keep flakeier Tupperware freshness that's our promise look at all the ways we keep it yeah, drag that out this morning. Tupperware is looks like it could be gone bust anytime soon or sometime soon. 77-year-old company. Anyway, anyway, it's as old as Joe Biden. Has anyone had or held or organised or been to a Tupperware party in, in, in recent times? It's just worth, a, worth an ask. Okay, to match matters far more serious. Brendan Glynn, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you doing? Very, very good. Very, very good, sir. Now, there's an event coming up in June. Uh, we're very proud to be the media partners of it. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. I'll go through what the details are. But take me back to January the 16th, 1994. What happened to you? You were scrumming with Mallow. What happened? I was indeed. Yeah, I was indeed PJ. Yeah, I was. Um, I played for Mallow first team uh, for a good few years, I suppose. After uh, playing in college and in UCD, and I played a bit in Lansdowne Rugby Club as well in Dublin. While I was in college in Dublin, but I I was always a, a Mallow Rugby Club man, I suppose, and I played with them from under twelves, mm. and I took a shine to playing in the front row. I think it was the uh, the combative element to it, and yeah. they. The, the challenge that, that it uh, entailed. You I was play, stuck in the middle hooker. between. Yeah. I was, I was a hooker, number two. I had a, a good prop on either side of me, always looking after me. And I played there from, I say, about under 14s up to, uh, I suppose, nowhere else, only hooker really, at the odd time, maybe a flanker or something or full back. But hooker all the way through, had plenty of experience. I played there for many a year. And when I got to the age of 25, I was the first, uh, that was the hooker on the first team at Mallow Junior team. Mm. And we had a regular, normal Sunday afternoon match in Castle Island, a league game on, a, on a January 1694. Uh, we headed back and uh, tugged out and went on, played the first half. Everything, everything was fine, second half. But midway through the second half, the scrum just didn't go right for us. The 
we when we engaged in the scrum, we just weren't uh, level enough for for fitting in together. Yeah. I suppose it's almost a- anybody who watches like, rugby. I've often you know watched it and remember talking to the great Keith Wood about that that moment where they they go together. It's it's an yes, enormous. It's like two trucks crashing. And what yes, happened with exactly. you was a bit offline, isn't that what happened? Yeah, just my head just was uh, the shoulder of the opposite hooker just cut the top of my head. So instead of my head going under his shoulder, which was the normal thing for the other thousand scrums I had been in, my head just got cut between going up above his shoulder and going below his shoulder. So I suppose my my head then was protruding a little bit more than everybody else's. So my head banged and went down into my chest. And that just was instantly uh, instant paralysis of the neck. How quickly did you know something was terribly wrong, Brendan? Was there pain? There was. There was. I suppose sometimes with these things, PJ, the pain is kind of gets to a level and you don't feel it. Then, you know, it can be really bad. So yeah, instant instant uh, injury. Um, just so my, I, I imagine what happened was my body kind of, I suppose, winced and just curled up because the, the life went out of my body really from the neck down. So I just, my arms probably just went limp and my body went limp. And they list the players knew straight away. I probably, I probably made a noise or a shriek or something, a roared, and they just let me down on the ground. Uh, it was a cold January, as you can imagine, in the afternoon, it was raining. I was immediately attended to. Everyone was in shock and in disarray. The game was stopped, and obviously, uh, the, everyone was around me. There was I was lucky that the scrum half on the other team, this Castle Island team, was a GP. So he ran to the to his car and got his bag. I think he had had done some training on spinal injuries, maybe about a month before that. Mm. which gave him uh, a lot of uh, good information, I suppose, and good knowledge as to what to do. Sorry, sorry the, to cut um, across you, Brendan. I'm just trying to clarify this this moment. Was it all gone in that split second? Yeah, that was it finished. There was the, nothing. That was the end of, nothing of moved. power from, from the show. No, no, gone. My completely. God, like oh you'd my hear God. some story. Some people might have had tingling and all sorts of things, but I was just completely paralysed from the day. My out. God almighty. That That's it. like switching your body there? off, Brendan. Yeah, and what happens, of course, in the middle of a game is you're in full pent. Uh, you know, your heart rate is up and you're sweating and you're in the middle, exerted fully, and suddenly your lungs then are probably down to about 20%, 30%. So you're almost droning and trying to get air. Um, so they're trying to calm me down. Everyone's in a panic. I think they administered morphine or something to me, you know, or some sort of a some sort of a sedative to to to, to relax the body. And I was wrapped up uh, with with uh, all sorts of coats and and everything to try and keep me warm. But at the same time, they were afraid to move me because, you know, that that has uh, implications as well. Sure, uh, so sure. And had you had you sensation? Like, could you feel the cold? Could you feel the damp? Could you? Had you any? Had you lost contact with your body? What was it like? Uh, that that, you, that probably is a good way of explaining it. No, I wouldn't have felt cold or anything. I was in shock. What happens? I think initially, is you go into some sort of spinal shock, where your whole body is just after being shut down, just like a switch. So I was left on the pitch for about an hour and a half, and they made a they made a call to somebody made emergency calls, and it resulted in the Sikorsky helicopter coming from Shannon and flying down to Castle Island onto the main street because the, the pitch is on the main street. And at that stage, it was dark. 
so all the players and all the people that are at the match turn on their lights on the cars so that they all shone straight. The way they were parked, they were all shining onto the, the pitch so the, the helicopter could um, could figure out where to, where to land. So he landed on the halfway line or somewhere like that. And, and I was put on a stretcher and I was airlifted to the matter. And in, how in aware Dublin. were you of what was going on? And more importantly, how aware were you of the damage that had been done? I suppose I was... I was for like well obviously you don't know how bad the damage is, but I was I knew something was extremely serious and that I wasn't right that this was serious. And my sister was a is a physio and she had worked in the rehab in Nunleary, where I ended up three days later, whatever, three or four days later. So I kind of knew I suppose from her stories from growing up that uh, you know, the the injuries that can happen in, in life, in sport or in going in the car or going anywhere else, but, you know. Uh, I suppose I was quite aware of that, and playing in the front row, you'd have had a few close calls, maybe or a few, a few, uh, you know, a few injuries or that type of thing. But I was very lucky in my playing career that I didn't really have much uh, uh, major injury at all. I was, I, I was lucky, no concussions or anything like that, you know. Yeah. But I was very, I suppose, I was, I was with it until getting into the helicopter, and I think they probably sedated me or something. Yeah. And I was wow. just kept kind of a camp state. I remember the helicopter taking off, and that was all I remember. And then I woke up, the, I think I might have woken up when I was in the matter before they operated. So I was operated on that night and there was some sort of fusion put in my neck, you know, kind of a sort of piano wire type stuff just to, to, to join it all up or fix it up. I basically had a, I had a, a cervical injury at level C, I think it was five and six. Right. Um, and that was so the middle of my neck, just above the little bump on the, on the yeah. you know, that little bone on oh, the back I of the neck. Indeed. Or I, I do that. indeed. Yeah. I have arthritis there, yeah. Brendan, so I know exactly <laughs> where that little bump is. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Just above that, that's where my injury was. Basically, it was like Snap. I suppose the spine is a bit like bo- a bit yeah. like boxes piled on top of each other, and they're all supposed to be in a line. And if one of the boxes gets a bang to one side, the wire that's going up between them, the the spine. Or the spinal cord, it's a bit uh, twisted and that. So it's a bit like I've seen the MRI scan. It's a bit kind of like baling twine that's been a bit kind of frayed off a stone or something like that. Some of the wires are kind of bent back and some are still intact. So I was three days in the matter. I was after and I was on traction as well, trying to kind of pull the the neck apart to make it uh, align, but that didn't really work. So then I was um, ambulanced over to the rehab in Deliria. I was there for nine months. And at what stage did they tell you, Brendan? That's it. There's no going back. Um, I suppose that's something that you come to realise yourself, and they kind of they kind of let you do that, and then they also, um, I suppose, slowly break it over the next few weeks or whatever. And you see around you as well that the um, I suppose the implications of the injury for people in the beds next to you or in the wards next to you. You get chatting to your peers, your new peers, your spinal injury peers. And you come to the slow realization that that, that's the way it's going to be. And it's kind of left your own brain, I suppose, or with the help and support of family and staff and the hospital. 27 27 or 28 years ago now so this is going on year. this is an awful clumsy question but I know I know people will want me to ask it so what can you do now 
Yeah, what I can do now uh, over the years, I suppose you, you develop necks and tricks and that type of thing. Uh, what I can do, I can work full time. I, I have a full time job with Park ETB, Park Education Training Board. I'm an adult education coordinator with them in Mallow, in the centre here in Mallow, uh, which is very rewarding and fulfilling for, for me and that it's a, a job I can do uh, because it just involves, uh, I, as I say, they pay me from the neck up, <laughs> just using the head. There's nothing wrong with it, nothing wrong from that up, luckily. Um, I was very lucky. I had an education. I did I have a degree in science. So that meant that I was able to get involved in this type of work. Uh, from, um, from a, I suppose, a physical and normal day-to-day point of view, I, I can't dress, we'll say, or I can't undress. I, I can wash my teeth and wash my face and I can read and I can answer the phone and text and, and uh, use a computer to, you know, to a good, a good level. Right, can you, can you, can you use your fingers? No? Uh, no, my fingers are completely paralyzed. I can just, one of them, one or two, just kind of give a little wiggle. Okay. But I can use my wrist, which is a very important thing. Some guys' wrists don't come back okay. with strength, you know. Like when it happened to me first, I couldn't even move my shoulders. But then after a while, after a few weeks, they just, it's like thawing out. Okay. My arms started coming back. But I can move my arms, um, but not normally, if you know what I mean. I, I do. can use my... Um, I suppose I'm restricted. I can't. I can't. Uh, I don't have fine movement in my fingers, but I can still hold things. And I can. I'm holding the phone now, or I can hold. Um, I can hold a book, or I could. I can use a mouse. Uh, I can do certain things, but it's kind of trick movement. Okay. Um, I can hold a pint. I can hold a pint of Guinness, which is great. Yeah, there's the thing. <laughs> you were at, you were at a rugby match nine weeks later. I was. I was. I was at the Five Nations Drinking Scotland a pint. game. I was. I, I they brought me about five. I had about five uh, staff with me from the rehab, and it was in my head. They were great for giving you goals and saying, "Look, we, if there's anything you'd like to do or aim for, we, we'll, you know, we'll we'll assist it." So I was just saying, I'd love to get to the Scottish game in in, uh, in March, and I had my injury in, in January, so it didn't give me much. But two months later, uh, they I must was, have been uh, looking at you going, "This fella completely mad." Mad, yeah. I remember coming back from it outside about a few pints at it. My wife, Deirdre, was at it, or my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I remember being completely exhausted when I came home. I was back to the hotel, or back to the, sorry, the hospital. Back to the hospital. I was absolutely worn out from the fresh air of it and everything because it was my first time out. And when you're in hospital, you know, like that, and then trying to face face the music, face the public, face everything. It's weird though going out first, PJ, because everyone's looking at you. And of course, you you don't know what they're looking at, but um, you're different. You see, normally you're you you just blend in because you're normal, and then suddenly you're not normal. You're in a wheelchair, and at that stage, I was in a kind of a high back wheelchair, a very uh, a very kind of high end wheelchair to to keep myself straight and everything like that. So I was looking. I, I just imagine what I looked like. Covered in rugs and everything, but uh, yeah, that that's a big thing is yeah, having okay. to realize that you don't look the same. Your perception of yourself has changed, and also people's perception of you has changed. Yes. That's a big, yes. that's a big thing to come to terms with. But there's a lot I can do. I mean, I uh, when I happened, I was engaged. I got married the year after, which was uh, you know these were big steps in in my life, I suppose. And just get on with it. Um, you have children, and I suppose. I do indeed, and which is fantastic. I my first uh, daughter was born in, in um, January two thousand, and my second Grace then was uh, two thousand two, in October two thousand two. So they're fantastic, um, 
fantastic part of my life and my wife as well, of course, Deirdre. She was going up with me when it happened and uh, she wasn't even at the match. She wouldn't have major interest in rugby at all. So she'd heard uh, back at home in Mallow that I'd had my injury. That time there was no no mobile phones or anything. So the word was, a, a, you know, the word was a bit different that time. Mm-hmm. So the word spread back uh, to Mallow that I was after having the injury. And wow. it was a huge shock to my, to my parents and to my brothers and my, my sister and brothers and, and the rest of us here but the rugby club were fantastic they really really came to the my, rugby to club and the RFU charitable trust I want to talk a bit about Absolutely. that because that's where they've been your support since then I want to take a quick commercial break if you wouldn't mind Brendan and we'll talk no, then about the charitable trust and, and the support that you got it's a fascinating story a story of Brendan Glynn, paralysed from the neck down in a split second when a rugby scrum went wrong. It's every, it's every parent's nightmare, not just for rugby, but for any sport. Your sons and daughters go out onto particularly a rugby pitch and... Ooh. We'll talk more to Brendan in just a second. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork's 96 FM is giving away free money. Free money. Somebody say, hey, we want some money. All you have to do is snap the app. Download. Step one. Download the Quirks 96FM app to your phone. Step two. Snap a screenshot. Step three. What's up in to win? What's up in to win? Stay listening from 6am weekdays for your chance to play. Take me where you are. Snap the app. Your ticket to free money. The winning begins next Monday. On Cork's 96 FM. So, Brendan Glynn has been a beneficiary of the IRFU Charitable Trust since since the 90s. And I'll go back to it in just a second with him. But the reason that he's talking to me today is we are very proud here at Cork's 96 FM to be media partner for their inaugural Monster Golf outing, which is on Friday, June 23rd at FOTA. A timesheet from half past 12 on the championship course. It's 800 euro per four ball. Um, whole package involved for the day. But that's taking, you can book your team in now and all of that. Give you details of that in, the, in a little while. But Brendan, they came into your life in, in, in 1996, I think it was. Now, one would have thought that the IRFU Charitable Trust was for the big time internationals. So you were a club player. They came into your life. How? Yes, they, I suppose nearly every rugby injury in Ireland, uh, that's the whole of Ireland, north and south, the, um, because obviously rugby is a, the 32-county thing. Uh, there's about 32 rugby injuries in Ireland at present, and none of them would have been professional as far as I know. Yeah. So the vast majority of matches that go on at any time, as people know, with the kids and everything, are just ordinary amateur uh, games, just normal people playing in the, the family of rugby, the rugby family. And the professional game is just the, the tip of the iceberg, really. If you're talking about only maybe 100 players or whatever, 150. But the rest of the thousands of players are just amateurs, women and men. And uh, unfortunately, with all the different collisions and everything that happened, 
happen throughout those people's careers and playing that some things happen and uh, the result is there's about 32 of us in the country at the moment PJ that are injured so they hire a few charitable trusts do fantastic support of those people whether it be maybe building an extension onto somebody's house to enable them to have a a normal sort of a house, a bit like what Baz does there in that program, yeah. just have a normal sort of a situation, make things independent for people, maybe to organise personal assistance support, maybe uh, financially to have people minding them, uh, caring for them, uh, sometimes 24-7 because there's there's worse injuries than me. There are people that might be in bed and only get out of bed only a few hours in the day. Whereas I'm, I'm, uh, I suppose, a normal, get up in the morning early and go to bed at normal time. But some people aren't in that situation. Nice. So they would need extra support. A lot of people can't work, so they wouldn't have the same financial, um, I suppose, benefits that I would have. And my wife works as well. So that has, that means that I'm, you know, some way normal and paying tax the same as everybody else. But some people are not able to work one hour at all. They can't work at all. Um, they just, they're just not that, maybe not trained to work, whatever. So the, it has huge implications. You could imagine with mental health as well, yes. and physical physical health, um, you know, hospital appointments, all that sort of thing. So between them buying equipment, maybe hoists and vans, like personally, they bought me wheel, a wheelchair van. I always have a wheelchair van purchased from them, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. It meets my needs. And uh, oh, I'm in the process maybe of looking at replacing the van I have. Can you, can you drive, Brendan? I can't drive myself, PJ. No, I, I tried it, but because I have a lot of spasm, because I suppose one one good thing about having an incomplete injury, which means your spinal cord isn't completely damaged, is that you have sensation and feeling in some parts of the body below your, your, your paralysis. But the downside of that is that you end up with more um, spasm because the body is half getting messages. So I get an awful lot of spasm in my legs and hands. Mm. Not that they're jumping around, but it's kind, of, it's kind of like a tightness. No, like a tightness that's going through you. It's almost like you, it's like uh, you can't really move as the way you want to, you know, with your hands and things. It causes a lot of clenching of, yeah. Your, yeah. of your muscles. So that would, that would mean that um, when it comes to driving and stuff, uh, I'd be fearful that I could kind of have a, sort of a, a spasm moment while I'd be driving and it would just curtail my, my steering and things like that. And you just, and also you don't have the same uh, strength in your top of your body because you're paralyzed. You don't, your, your trunk, your, from the waist up just yes. doesn't have any gotcha. uh, balance. I gotcha. So if I, yeah. if I break or anything, I'd fall forward I see. and that type You'd of thing. So it wouldn't yeah. make it easy, you know? Yeah. But they bought so you the they continue to yes, the part the they do, which is fantastic. And I have people then, all my personal assistants or anyone who's working with me or my family, they can all drive. It's open insurance in the van, so that's fantastic. It's got a automatic um, rear entry for me, and I can control that from a from a remote control. So that's wow. fantastic. But, but uh, it, it has enabled me to to go to work and to to go on holidays and to go go you know go away for the day or do whatever, go to matches. It's fantastic. And so the the van is is my is my, you know is my transport and also a chair. I I have a power chair as well, which is fantastic. It's wow. um, amazing. That makes in, life in, so in much fairness. easier. And and all that is paid for by the RFU Charitable Trust, and that is why we're talking today, Brendan, because of the event. And I'll give the details again. But just come back to the injury for a second. I was amazed to read that even though your injury, and this is one rugby fan to another now, you know. That, even though the injury happened in the way it did, and I remember talking when he retired, I remember doing an interview with Woody, and you, he said, i got to get out of here before I do, I do serious harm to my neck. Like, 
They, the scrum is such a dangerous thing. It's that moment, like two trucks crashing. But you have no time for the uncontested scrum. No, I, I don't really, because, I mean, then it's not a contest, really, PJ. Uh, I remember there was a talk there about 10 years ago about that and I wrote to the Irish Times and it was, their letter was published just to, just basically uh, saying that I feel that un, an uncontested scrum isn't really a scrum. I mean, that's like boxing, boxing with uh, without hitting somebody hard or something. It's not really, it's not the same thing or to be like driving Formula One cars at 40 miles an hour and <laughs> instead of the speed they go, you just, you, you can't take... You can't take contest out of a contest, so mm. the scrum is, is part of that. And uh, and I suppose the way to to mitigate against having injuries the way we would have had in the amateur days is to is to uh, have better refereeing and yes. coaching and that type of thing and having more training. Yes. So I think that's what and this that's is where all now. the pause, crouch, engage, the that's set. That's yes. where it all comes from. That's why that's all, all that. that that's why that takes. And people look at their. Why does it take so long? Cause yeah, because it's got to be right. Yeah, because we didn't have that. Yeah, because we didn't have that in the nineties, and the, the, it was literally go together there, lads, or something. Yeah. You know, the ref might say there wasn't the same level of your back. Your back wasn't level. You were a bit crouched, yeah. bit kind of pumped a bit like a banana. Two bananas going together instead of two <laughs> uh, sticks going together. You know that kind of way. So you were kind of crouched trying to get into the scrum, whereas now it's all very. You're really down low. Your your hips are down low. Your it's back is straight. Your neck is going straight. So it makes it a lot more it's, safe. It's all, you know? it's all for safety. Brendan, I wish you well. It's been a fascinating conversation. I could stay talking to you all day, but they're telling me here I have to move on to other things. I really do thank no, you no, no. For, for being with me. Uh, Brendan Glynn, a beneficiary of the IRFU Charitable Trust since 1996. You're going to help out people like Brendan. Now you're a uh, rugby fan and a bit of a golfer. Get a team together. And the Munster Golf Outing at Fota Island Golf Club, Friday... 23rd of June 2023 timesheet open now from 12.30 if you want to find more details irfucharitabletrust.com irfucharitabletrust.com and there's an after event where they have some rugby greats in a and a I'm going to go to that 0818 96 96 96 I yeah I'll go to Katie from Dog Action and Welfare. Katie, I've run over time with Brendan. I'll just take a quick commercial break before we chat, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. 0818-969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. So our conversation dominated a lot today by that uh, awful incident in Bishopstown last Friday where the dog was put into a car wash and power hosed and, oh, stop. That poor dog. I saw the videos. I felt sick to my stomach seeing my three girls curled up on the sofa. Dogs, I assume, yeah. Knowing that poor little guy was traumatised and probably thrown outside in the cold afterwards when he got home. Dogs have an undercoat that takes ages to dry, even if they're short hairs. Something has to be done about this, the poor innocent dog. I don't know any of your listeners if they've got caught by the water coming out of a power washer, but my sister did on her hand by accident. It literally ripped off the skin. Dogs have very sensitive skin. God help that poor little creature. Indeed. And we then heard from Dog Action Welfare... 
Um, you say, Katie, and this is depressing to hear, you say you're yes. kind of fighting a losing battle at the moment, particularly with regard to one of the most adorable creatures, the lurcher. My daughter has a love of lurchers and has introduced me to one or two of them through her work. They're the most gorgeous animals. Morning. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're incredible. We have we have a ton of lurchers always in our care, and as you know yourself, they're probably so far down the um, down the pecking order when it comes to to dog lovers. Um, that if, once you have exposure to them, I'd say you know it, it, everybody is surprised at how beautiful they are. They're gorgeous animals. Yeah, and you've come across a really sad case in the last couple of days. Yeah, um, sadly, I mean, we, we get sad cases in on a regular basis, but this was pretty rough on everybody where we were handed in a lurcher late last uh, Friday evening. Um, a member of the public picked him up off the street and um, he had um, I mean, a burst eye socket. He had massive jaw injuries. His jaw was hanging off him. Um, he was in serious pain. What happened and to him? We don't know. I mean, we, we, we have a certain idea, obviously, of what happened to him. He was either got a belt of a car or it was a kick. I mean, it was a very direct kick or a hurley or something, um, oh, PJ. So, I mean, we don't know, but he was very, very badly injured. We, we had to make a call that um, there was way too much work to, to, that, that he wouldn't survive to, to put him back together again. Oh, no. So he has yeah. to be put to sleep. He did, yeah. Yeah, that would be a very, very, you know, that would be a decision we do not take lightly. Oh, but um, but if the person who found him hadn't brought him to you, he'd probably have died alone in pain. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or he would have gone back into whatever yard or whatever site he had kind of crept out of and um, he would have died in the corner, yeah. He wouldn't have been able to eat, he wouldn't have been able to, um, he was very malnourished anyway. Um, but a lot of lurchers that would come into our care would have, you know, would be very thin, very underfed, very, um, very neglected. Anyway, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lurcher. It's, it's a lurcher's life, really. It's a very, and and the thing is, okay, they, they, they mightn't be the the prettiest dog to look at from a distance, uh, and, and that goes against them a bit. But they're they're such gentle creatures. They're a perfect pet, but. Loads of them were picked up during lockdown, and now they're being abandoned. Well, they, yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're literally always um, being abandoned. I mean, they they would be left behind after hunts, or they're left, you know, they're left stray around, um, you know, inner city. They're left stray around various sites around the place. So um, they're picked up all the time. It doesn't matter whether it's lockdown or not. But we did adopt a good few would have been adopted out through lockdown. Um, now, whether they're being abandoned or not, they're, be- they're being abandoned no more than any other dog really is that was picked up during lockdown. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge problem. We all became so yeah. much closer to our own dogs during lockdown uh, and other people who had never had a dog before got a dog. Then they went back to work and life changed for the animal. Yeah, exactly. So what we're doing, we're kind of in between two swathes of, of the COVID kind of dumped uh, dogs that are being surrendered to us. People have no more time for them. And then obviously the housing situation is starting to cause ructions with a lot of new tenants who would have had dogs over years are now being made homeless. And those dogs are also coming into our care. So it's a bit of a perfect storm right now. Those of us who love these wonderful creatures and wouldn't see an ounce of harm brought to any of them, what can we do? What is there anything we can do? 
Oh, well, I mean, there's always something. We're, we're always here. Um, Cork DAWG has been around um, nearly 15 years now. So, um, and we are constantly um, on the lookout for volunteers. We're constantly on the lookout for fosterers, really, are, are what we're looking for right now. Um, because a foster is like gold dust. We, we, we need a, an experienced home to take in a dog that is in between kind of getting treated or, or being assessed and um, then help them on the road to adoption. So um, there's always something people can do for us. Um, we'd shake a bucket, um, donate, and just help us, help us in our journey. Mm-hmm. You talked in your post, though, about the country being and the county being overrun with unwanted dogs. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. It's 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 true. We we have we have um, we we have a wait list now of unwanted dogs that are being surrendered into our care. And I mean, the, the, I suppose what breaks our hearts more is the dogs that you know you you, you know, talk about that unfortunate dog that was being power washed. Um, it's the unseen dogs, the unseen cruelty, because you know those aren't one off. Just because everybody saw that poor dog being power washed, it, it what it means is really that a lot of the cruelty is happening in behind closed doors, and there are dogs in sheds, yards, um, back gardens, just left there day after day after day um, to rot, and we they go unseen or unheard. So we need we need this to be reported. We need to be told about this, and this needs to be exposed. Yeah, you say they're they're tied up on chains. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people people think we're we're we um, we over egg it sometimes, but it's very true. On a very very regular basis, we are getting calls from members of the public who have observed dogs in um, in runs, pacing up and down inside in runs in people's gardens, and um, just unwanted, but just unwanted, unloved, and just thrown into back gardens and and left there. Um, so we do need to be told about these. This needs to be uh, talked about because it's it's very cruel. Yeah. We know how sociable dogs are and how how distressed they get when they're unwanted. How, how do you get it in? How do you get your head around it? You know, Katie, because oh. you know, as as someone who one of the most wonderful things in my entire life has been the love that dogs have brought into my life. Mm. That 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 unconditional love. How could you do it to a creature? What's not done to dogs? I, I I have never been able to get my head around it. Um, I I see. I and I would explain this to my own kids uh, here when we've taken foster dogs at various stages. Um, that you know, if if we thought like them or if we understood them, we might be the same as them. So that you know. Um, it's it's just a massive lack of empathy, lack of compassion, um, a, a different culture. I, I, I don't understand it myself because um, dogs come into us and they are so forgiving. They're so able to um, lift up their heads after a lifetime of neglect and move on. Um, that I, I don't understand it, to be honest. Like, I'd, I'd be like yourself, PJ. I just couldn't contract my head around it. Yeah. All right, Katie. Well, continued success with the work that you do, and if Thank anybody you. wants to help, your Facebook, your website. Where can people find you? Yeah, we're we're all over Facebook. Um, just 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 um, and check it out on on the web. It's just at Cork Dog Action Welfare Group dot co- dot ie. Okay. So all the information is there. All right, Katie. Thank you. D A W G. Google it, and you'll find them. 
9696 it's heartbreaking what people will do to a harmless creature like a dog it really is and they're, they're I often say you see someone I picked up on this saying on um, social media during lockdown where people were posting pictures of their dogs and posting videos of the silly little things dogs did that brightened up those dull days and was thinking of something three years ago three years ago we were in the midst of the first lockdown and yes the weather was gorgeous with a lovely spring in 2020 it was about the only saving grace that kept us all from going crackers in the first lockdown was that the weather was gorgeous and we can get out the garden but I remember the laughter of our own dogs and, and the, the laughter they gave us you know they didn't give a sugar what was going on they didn't care they just realised we were around more we were around more and there were more treats and more fun and more walks just to, to save our sanity but I, someone said at the time you know what we don't deserve dogs and, and that I think says it all we, we just don't deserve them 0818 96, 96, 96 we were talking yesterday to Shannon from Kinsale who was talking about the demise of the clubs there are no clubs anymore there are no places to go uh, the Bacchus in Kinsale she was talking about the White Lady in Kinsale and we're looking at the names that are gone from the city Cubans, Reds, the Globe, the Half Moon Chandra's Think back, think back. Coco's, Bogart's, think of them all. They're all gone. They were all, and great, they were all fab. Zoe's, Norma Jean's, they were just fabulous places. And each one had a character of its own. It had a music style of its own. It had a culture of its own. It had a regular crowd of its own. And they're all gone. Great to see one of them that became a big hit in the earlier part of the noughties was Electric Dreams used to happen in the PAV once a month, not the PAV, the Savoy sorry, once a month and I DJed at Electric Dreams a few times and it was always just great fun, one of the men behind it was Colm Lockheed and I know you're coming back into the PAV this weekend Colm, we'll talk about that in a minute but what what, what did, you you grew Electric Dreams in the Savoy from an idea into a, into an institution, good morning Hiya, how's it going PJ? Very good it grew from an idea into an institution. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Look, we were. I was. I was a DJ uh, from 2000, and well, when I started out, and I was working every night, and I eventually convinced one of the fellas that ran the Savoy to let us run a nightclub, uh, the 80s night. We said we'd do it once a month on the first Friday, and the first one had 260 people 15 years ago on the balcony in the Savoy, and within three months. We had uh, a queue out the door and we were telling, sending people away at 1,300 people uh, inside each week for nearly four years solid, uh, even after going through different managements and different uh, ownerships of the actual Savoy nightclub itself. It, it stayed and it, it was always part and parcel of the Savoy's, uh, I suppose, schedule. Yeah. What happened to the old clubs? Everyone had their character, call them. Everyone was different. They their their clientele, their music style, their own uh, little I, community. Uh, PJ, it, I suppose there's two or three reasons why clubs close down. It, it, number one, people don't go there anymore. And number two, it gets too expensive to run. Yeah. Uh, and, and I suppose costs like that are, you know, insurance, security, uh, and, and, and not just insurance, but insurance claims. 
Uh, I know a lot of the, the larger clubs, especially the, the clubs that would have, you know, or, or institutions and uh, companies that would have more than one or two establishments would nearly be in, in court monthly. Uh, and they wouldn't be there themselves. They'd have representation just going in uh, dealing with the claims against, you know, someone falling, someone uh, tripping, someone saying that they fell or tripped, you know, mm-hmm. allegations, some of them, some of them are true. You know, you never know as well, but... Uh, they, those things have always factored into it. I, strangely enough, I didn't hear the segment you're talking about yesterday that's after kind of sparking this. Well, I was recently in Kinsale myself, and we were actually saying to ourselves, like, a Kinsale in the noughties was like New York in the in the 80s. It was just, there was, you couldn't believe that there was that many nightclubs and okay. bars down there. Hopping. I was, saying, like, I was saying to, to Shannon, my, my diary would have been full at this time of the year, and half it would have been Kinsale. Yeah, I mean, we worked in Hamlet ourselves and we worked, uh, we didn't actually work with the White Lady, but I would have went down there a lot myself. And we worked with the, the Shanna Key, which was a nightclub yeah. inside one of the pubs down there. And we, I would have said DJs down there myself. My brother played inside there too. Um, so, I mean, I, we had a lot of work done in Kinsale, and especially with the Sevens and stuff as well. I right. the place was hopping. But like, we were down there recently and we were in the Greyhound pub, which is a, my favourite pub down there. And, yeah. uh, and it got to half 12 and that was it. There was, nothing there. There, was, there was nowhere else to go to and it was Friday night and we were we were pumped up ready to go and have another one or two drinks <laughs> and if, if the Greyhound had stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning we would have sat by the fire and chatted away until that point but no yeah. nothing you, you remind us of another one here that I, I, I'd forgotten about uh, Freak Scene that was a great yeah. night yeah, and I, I only lived down the road from John and he, he hasn't brought it back or anything like that I think he's kind of done with it now but I, we, I, I was talking with Fergal off air before I came on and he was asking me about kind of memories that I have of old places and stuff like that. And I suppose Henry's is one of those places that pops up in people's minds. But I've always said that club nights work because of a couple of different factors. It's not just the music. It's not just the people. It's not just the venue. It's not just the people who ran it. It, it, it kind of, all those factors come together. Sometimes they all come together in perfect harmony. And other times it's one or two of those things that make the night. Sometimes it's people. I always believe that Electric Dreams was the people, us running it, the people coming in mm. knew exactly what they were expecting. Yeah. And the same came for Freak Scene. Um, and I suppose when it was at, some, I suppose I always think people look back nostalgically at some places like uh, Sir Henry's. But if they were to go in there these days, to see what it looked like back then in 1994, they'd have given it a one out of five star review just for the look oh, of it. Oh, geez, Colin, you'd have but, gone in and said, what the hell, we came in here to yeah, this barn? <laughs> it was a perfect mix of everything coming together in, in, in beautiful harmony yeah. uh, to, to make things like that, like Freak Scene and Jam and things like that. Fabulous. Um, all work. And, and Freak Scene was amazing. And it, and it was able to move. The night itself was able to go beyond right. uh, Henry's. It went down to Brogue and, and, and uh, the Gorby's and it went to mm. uh, the Savoy and it was it was huge success because it was the people and they understood the atmosphere, they understood the music and the people yeah. who were running it understood what the people wanted. Like so, There's one, there's one uh, great spot at the moment bringing back memories to all of us and, and that's and that's pop scene. That's doing, doing really well where Lacey House used to be. Talk to me briefly about the PAV though. You're, you're bringing back Electric Dreams for having a go off it. Yeah, well, I, you know what? Look, it's, it's a once-off. It's fifth. Uh, you never know. I, I always say it's a once-off, and then I end up doing sixty-five of them in a tour in the know, country. Like, with Electric Dreams, we played every everywhere. We went to Dublin, and we we brought acts over like Cindy Lauper and Go West, and and, and we, we. That's what I'm trying to try to remember. That fifteen years ago, we set up something, and 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 people really got behind it and loved it. And I said, you know what? Uh, the, the the lads in the pub got onto us, and they said, look, we're looking to run some really cool events. Uh, we're not looking to kind of fleece people. We do it for free. We'll give you a, we'll give you a fee. Would you be interested in bringing it back? And I was like, yes. And it just so coincided with the exact 15th anniversary 
of the day we started Electric Dreams. Really? I think on the day is exactly 15 years to the first Electric Dreams inside on that balcony inside in the Savoy. So wow. it's it's serendipitous if you understand if you kind of get as I said everything coming together in perfect harmony. There it is. That's the serendipitous of it, of it all. Like so, that's fabulous. Um, I, I, I used I mean, to play the front it, the front bar for you occasionally in Electric Dreams, and that was another. Did, uh, there was like another crowd. It, they, but that was the whole point. You could have fun with, with that. that crowd. You could have a lot exactly. of fun. With that. You, we played all the hits downstairs and we expected you to go on the B-side, but you knew that that's what it was supposed to be and you played the kind of Adam and the Ants that we couldn't get away with on the that's main right, floor yeah. and you got away with the kind of the... the, 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 the I wouldn't say secondary, but the songs that people love that never get played right. on the that's main right. floor. Uh-huh. And, you know, we, we, we always call our talk to ourselves, look, we bring back the slow set and we'd stop all of a sudden down below <laughs> on the main floor and we'd throw on three slow songs and sing along <laughs> songs. And, and that kind of, again, some people didn't get it and other people just were like, yeah. Yeah, this is it. You know, I love it. But we'll have to have you back. If we go again, will you come back and play with us? I would be yeah. only delighted, Colin. That would be great. Would it, get the old cr- We're getting the band back together. <laughs> though, <laughs> Listen, great, ch- great chatting to you and good luck in the pav. And I will see you next time because there won't be a one-off. There's no one-off for Electric Dreams. One of the most clever ideas that anyone ever had in the club scene in Cork. And I played it a few times and Simon Murdoch played it a few times. And um, Simon actually plays pop scene at the moment and I'm going to be popping in there at some stage during the summer doing a couple of nights in pop scene just to get back to the old crew and the old fun we used to have. That's it for today. Programme edited by Imra Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry who was no mean club DJ in his own time. Oh, yes, thank you. What have we got? Yeah. It's a magpie. So it is. And Patricia Tobin is our qualifier with Soundstore for the Gardena Robotic Lawnmower. Uh, we draw someone else and draw the winner tomorrow when we are back just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.